Welcome to The Cinephiles, where this week we are revisiting one of our favorite episodes. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, writer, producer, and host over and critic over at Collider uh, and co-host of other podcasts. But, uh, you know, this is the focus today. It's The Cinephiles, and we're introing this. So if you downloaded this episode, you're wondering, like, why are they doing Wrath of Khan again? We're not doing it again, but we are doing a special intro on the heels of of doing the motion picture recently with Scott Mance. And one thing you might notice is that both of our voices sound slightly sultry, <laughs> slightly rough, and that is because, and I believe we are setting the record, this is the earliest in the morning you and I have ever recorded together. That's true, and you are coming off of being sick, and I'm still finishing out my run of the bronchitis and all this stuff that has been affecting me over the last couple of weeks yeah it's been we there, there's been some rough times on the cinephiles rough times but, but we are still still excited and yeah. part of what makes us excited is that we are talking about one of our most important episodes one of our most exciting episodes yeah. on one of our favorite topics with one of our favorite guests because in my opinion our episode on the wrath of Khan is a transformative seminal moment in the history of the cinephiles mm. much like this film is a transformative seminal moment <laughs> in the history of star trek Agreed. i think that is an amazing point <laughs> I, i'm not saying that we should compare well. the cinephiles to star trek or our wrath of khan episode to mm-hmm. wrath of khan itself and yet but there's just so many things that pop to mind yeah this, i mean yeah. The, the first one is is that i think this was sort of you know, there was there had been motion picture, there had been talk of phase two, there had been obviously the original series and the animated series, but Wrath of Khan is the moment that solidified Star Trek as something, a property that was going to go on yeah. and go forward and what it could be in the future. Absolutely. You know, and uh, I think it got back to the roots of what Star Trek was, right? As, no question as, about as it. As great as an experimental film uh, that pushed the boundaries of what Star Trek could be, uh, which was the motion picture, Rathacon, because of the reception of the motion picture, was the studio's effort to course correct uh, and put it back to the uh, original foundation of Star Trek, bring it back to all of that, and get people back on board. And, you know, we see this happening now as we uh, record this, Steve. The Rise of Skywalker is about to come out. I've already seen it. No spoilers. But certainly, the reviews on social media are all about fan service. And so this idea of bringing it back to its roots, the original trilogy, that feeling, right? So many franchises have done this to various success or failure. Certainly, this was an overall success that saved the franchise. That idea of fan service is so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And I was about to say something, but you know what I want to do is I want to actually do a cinephile short to discuss this concept of fan service. That sounds good because to me. Because I think, and, and, and for those of you who haven't listened to him or don't uh, uh, support the show on Patreon, mm. we occasionally, and we're trying to do this much more frequently, record a cinephile short on a topic of something that comes up in our conversations, yeah. something that's going on in the world, or our favorite thing to do is something that is suggested by our patrons, mm. a topic that's not necessarily just talking about a film, but can be talking about anything. Yeah. And right now I'm thinking, man, fan service, because it is so important between Rise of Star Walker and the Mandalorian and we've got another Star Trek movie coming out yeah. and of course the Marvel movies and how do you keep 
This is such a critical question of how do you keep the fans happy, but not let your desire to please the fans dominate what's necessary for a story. I think that's a yeah. a really interesting thing that maybe we should discuss as a cinephile short. Absolutely. And Ryan Johnson recently was on my friend's podcast, uh, Jennifer uh, Sturger, Jennifer Decker, her and her husband, Cody, who's a former ball player. They host a, film, a podcast called, I think it's called Swing and Misses. Uh, misses uh, is a nice little play on words there. But they had Ryan Johnson on. Mm. And Ryan Johnson spoke about his struggles with fan service versus what he wanted to do with The Last Jedi. And so, very interesting stuff we can get into if we do a Cinephile short on it. Patreon.com slash The Cinephiles, where you can hear a whole bunch of other shorts. And it sounds like right now would be a good time to subscribe because you're going to hear whatever we have to say about fan service. And I don't even know what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah. it's going. I mean, these these shorts have become such a fantastic part of doing The Cinephiles. It's been fun to have... Uh, uh, fans suggest topics for us to talk about because if there's one thing Steve and I aren't short of is opinions on <laughs> any subject in the world. And if one thing we enjoy doing more than anything else is if we don't know about a subject is researching it and Absolutely. then having and then generating an opinion off of that research, which is always fun. Um, and but getting back yeah. to Wrath of Khan yes. and the and the connections between the resurgence of Star Trek and Wrath of Khan and the evolution of the cinephiles. Yeah. The, I really think that, that we recorded that original Wrath of Khan episode. It was on February 1st, 2017. So we're almost at three years ago. And I really feel like that was the moment, that was right in that time where we were transitioning from kind of an hour-long show yeah, yeah. to a more structured show that got longer and longer and longer. That it did. That was probably our longest episode up to that point. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and, and in no short part due to Scott Mance. That and was his, the next his thing his I was eloquence say. and uh, you know, uh, ability to talk. Well, and this is the first time. Literally, the moment I met Scott Mance was, I don't know, six minutes before we started recording. Yes. I'd never seen him before. Of course, I'd seen him compete with you yeah. on the Schmodown, and I'd seen that huge rivalry you guys had, yeah, which yeah. was awesome. And so I felt like there was a lot of juice coming in. Mm-hmm. And the minute we started talking about Wrath of Khan, you said, well, we have to have Scott Mance as a guest. Yeah. Yeah, because Scott is such a massive Star Trek fan. And, you know, Scott is one of the best dudes uh, in the business today. Very sweet guy. Wears his heart on his sleeve all the time. You know where you stand with Scott all the time. Incredibly nice. And he, as soon as he walked into the house, no airs, no arrogance, no cockiness. This is a man who has been published nationally. This is a man who spoke about movies on TV for many years and was well is well regarded in the movie critic community, but came in completely, uh, um, on my word, came in to do the show and was... Uh, just a, an ubermensch, if I can use that word as an honorary Jew, an ubermensch uh, with how much I need he to gave. Get you us. a t-shirt. Yeah, you should. You should. Uh, without as much as with how much he gave us and how much he enjoyed the process. Came in with stacks of notes. Oh yeah, he was ready to go. In a lot of ways, him coming on in that way was so great because it kind of confirmed for me that we were doing something that was kind of unique. Yeah, because what he said, and he said it on the mic, he said it off the mic, is that. Even though he's done, you know, national yeah. television and been a, a key movie critic, as you say, mm-hmm. a, a nationally known person to talk about films, most of the time when he talks about films, it's for three minutes. Yeah. You know, and so he was so grateful, I think, for the opportunity to like really, because you can't show all that you know in three minutes. Right, right, right. You know, and with Scott Mance, and particularly on the topic of Star Trek, yeah. he needs a lot more than three minutes. I mean, he's got a lot to say, and he knows so much. He does. And it's 
fun to listen to him because he he brings such joy to Star Trek when he speaks about it that you can't help if if you're even remotely a fan you can't help but get carried up into it with him and certainly he did that on our Wrath of Khan episode I can't think of anyone else that would have brought out the best in us as oh, yeah. well as uh, analysts and critics and and people who love this movie to bring uh, our A game and step up to the plate and go toe to toe with Scott Mance, you know, and 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 he doesn't just bring expertise and passion; he brings volume. Yes, well, like, true. One Very of the true. things I had to really because I have my little recorder in front of me; it's got some knobs on it. <laughs> Normally, I set a level and like that's where we're going to be. Yeah, there's a thing in uh, sound recording; it's called dynamic range. It's what's the quietest point to the loudest point. Well, the quietest to the loudest with Scott Mance <laughs> is a long way. Yeah. And so I think the audio recording is the least good I did on Mr. <laughs> Mance. I kind of learned later on how to do that a little better. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think was really funny that happens is when I edit the shows, I'm always making the decision of, well, do we want to listen to me say a line or you say a line? Mm. Or do I want to cut to the actual character saying the line? And, and you know, it kind of depends. If, if you and I say with a lot of passion or we laugh a lot, right. then then I'll keep us in. And if you and I stumble over that quote, then I'll, well, I want to go to hear the real person say it rather than hear you and I stumble over right. a quote. You and Man, I quoted a little bit, but you and Mance in particular <laughs> quoted almost the entire film. And yeah. it was all so great <laughs> that I had to go like, man, I, I, what do I do? I want to hear Spock say this line, but right. I loved hearing you say this line or Scott saying this line. It was always a, like a 10, I think sometimes I just doubled it up. I'm like, well, you get to listen to both because they're both great. Yeah. Thank you. That was, it's, he, I love doing lines with him about, from this movie, and I love us going back and forth. And you get inspired to do it. And, you know, uh, I love this movie to pieces. And talk, I can never talk about Khan enough. Uh, yeah. And and it's – I think – I don't know for sure the numbers, Steve, but it's not the longest film in the Star Trek. Uh, oh, no. I think uh, it's fairly short. Yeah, and to still I don't have, know that for sure. Still have such an incredible effect uh, still all these years later, decades later – you know, you talk about Rise of Skywalker, you talk about the recent trilogy, feels like they're chasing that original trilogy like a dragon, like the dragon. You know what they call that in drugs, they're chasing the, the dragon. It feels that way with Star Trek. They've been chasing Wrath of Khan ever since. And they've come close. Certainly, I think, uh, in my estimation, Star Trek VI has come the closest overall. I agree, uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, right? And, but they've never been able to capture that again. And I think that speaks volumes to the artistry of this movie. And Scott and you and I certainly broke the whole thing down from second one to the last second of the film and i think you're saying something off mic steve and you deserve a lot of credit like this is where the show changed and this our is show where, yeah, yeah our show where the cinephiles changed and it became a little bit more like you said structured but also that structure allowed for even deeper analysis even deeper exploration of the themes uh and what you say at the beginning of the cinephiles what we say at the beginning of yeah. saying, the exploration of the themes and discussing the legacy of the film, all of that uh, uh, was in play. Well, I think what what we discovered, and it happened really organically, as it should, you know, was that is that there's a is that by taking time mm -hmm. and by really going through things, conversations come up that wouldn't otherwise come up because when you go like, you know, hey, Steve and John talk about this film. Well, we're going to talk about the highlights, the most important stuff, yeah, and we won't talk about certain details which are actually not flashy, but really important, or that inspire other conversations. Like you wouldn't think about necessarily 
this moment where Kirk turns or something like that. Yeah. When, when you're if you're doing a, a short review, but when you're going through the whole movie, you're like, oh wait, that's the moment where we see Kirk's got the plan or whatever it is. Right. You know, is that is that something happens when you kind of go through it? And and the other thing that I think started to really happen kind of in this moment at mm-hmm. the beginning of 2017 with the films is that when you just talk about a film in general we don't get too emotional we don't get involved right. in the emotions of the film when you go through the film and then particularly when editing it together and putting it mm-hmm. with the clips it's like the nice thing is i think sometimes people have written it's like no i got i teared up yeah when you did this moment or you know when you did spock's death in wrath of right, khan right, right. because that i mean first of all it's one of the greatest deaths in film it's one of the most moving scenes and because we went through it as slowly as we did with scott like to honor it we yeah. ha- we went you all three of us were feeling scott's death as we were talking about it uh spock's death yes yeah. scott's that sounds good scott scott mance is fine he's still alive <laughs> he's still okay <laughs> scott spock he's it messed long. me up a little bit it's early in the morning it's true he's living we were, long and prospering <laughs> we were feeling it as we were going through it yeah. and i think that idea of oh we want to we don't want to just talk about the movie. We want to revisit it. We want to experience through the cinephiles. Yeah, and I, I would say, Stephen, and I hope I'm not speaking too much out of term, but I feel like it was also a cathartic night for Scott. Scott, at the time, was going through some personal emotional stuff, mm. which he has spoken about, um, and he was knee-deep in it. And there were moments in this film that affected him. And I could yep. see it as his friend. I could see mm. it. And I was, um, at time, I wanted to... Like, you know, uh, say something, but I also want to respect his space and process as he was going through it and has these things that we were talking about were affecting him. So those were authentic. Both those moments were very authentic for Scott. And uh, I, in, in some ways, the cinephiles could be called could be a little bit of a therapeutic experience for anybody who comes to talk about a film or when we talk about it. I was just going to say certainly. it certainly has been for me. Yeah. And, and, well, and this is like you and I are very similar in this sense that we both go to movies because... We love them in yeah. a, it's not just like a fun entertainment. It's like movies are important to both of us. Different movies have come at different times in our lives when we when we needed them. Yeah. We return to certain movies over and over again when we want comfort or laughter or to be challenged or we're pissed off or whatever. Yeah. And I think some of that comes through when we're doing the show. There's no question that there are episodes that were cathartic for me at certain times that I needed them. Right. Um. One other thing, and this is, again, we have to thank Scott Mance for this. We have to thank Star Trek fans, which obviously you, all three of us, are numbered yep. among, is that that Rathacon episode, and I don't want to be like crass or commercial about it, but the number of people that listened to our show, it almost doubled yeah. just from that episode. Well, people took a chance on us, right? Yeah. And I think it's it's a, what do you call that thing? Like you said, Steve, early, it was the organic change in the show, and it happened to be with a very popular film and a fan base that enjoys movies and people who know Scott Mance and me and you took a chance to listen to it and became fans and changed everything. It changed everything. And then we won the trust of those fans. And I yeah. think we've been building on that trust ever since as the numbers have grown uh, for the cinephiles. They know what they're getting. They know they're coming to listen to quality entertainment that breaks down a film. This is not a just a random discussion. This is very structured, and then within the structure, very much uh, strong uh, organic analysis totally. of what's happening. And what, another thing that occurred in this episode too, Steve, is that it was impressive to watch all of us 
impress each other with our points of view. Oh, sure. And it happened again recently with motion picture. Absolutely. And we all had these different approaches points, and thoughts yeah. Yeah, to make. And I think that's always great because it, it, it makes you uh, in, enjoy the film again, all over again. Well, and you said something at the beginning that made me laugh. Mm. But I actually like, you know, I don't know how serious you were, but Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, and that moment in the cinephiles, like those mm. are important. And if you think about, you know, uh, what had come before with Star Trek, and I, I, I can't tell you how much I really enjoyed our motion picture discussion. Yeah, me too. And I, who had, I had been one of the probably, I was the least favorable towards that film before rewatching it, and my my love for it went way way up. But I still think the comparison between motion picture and Wrath of Khan is like for lovers of film and for screenwriters and for filmmakers out there, there is so much here to think about in terms of. What kind of movie? What makes a movie that you love? Yeah, and and there are probably people out there who love motion picture and don't love Wrath of Khan as much, and that's sure. that's totally great. But the contrast between them in terms of the cerebral versus the emotional, the character base versus the unbelievable spectacle of motion picture, like all those things, and thinking about film are so so important. And obviously, we know what side of this I'm going to come down on because I will. Well, I really have come to admire motion picture in lots of ways. It's nothing for me like Wrath of Khan. Right, agreed. And, you know, what you say it mirrors what a lot of our fans said after they listened to the first part and the second part of Star Trek Motion Picture. Because at the end of the day, Steve and I, no matter how much we analyze the films and break these things down, we're first fans. We're foundation. Our foundation Absolutely. is fandom of movies. And so um, as a fan, you can have your opinion changed about a film uh, and or, or at least it grow in its have it grow in its estimation after listening to our breakdown. And a lot of our fans on Facebook certainly responded positively and said, oh, I, my opinion changed or I, I gave this thing another shot after listening to you guys. And it kind of changed me. It turned me around on the film. And that's a positive. So um, th- that is what we think about our th- almost three-year-ago episode, <laughs> Wrath of Khan. It was really important to both John and I that we re-release it now, both because we just did motion picture yeah. and also because it was just such a seminal moment for us in the cinephiles. Uh, we hope you listen to enjoy this episode. We also hope that you go on to patreon.com slash the cinephiles and check out our discussion of William Shatner <laughs> and his divorce. Yeah. And upcoming, which we're about to record right now, yeah. is a discussion of fan service and why is it good and why is it bad? That's going to be coming soon on patreon.com slash the cinephiles. Yeah. Are we dropping this at Christmas? And I think, yeah, this is so we should say like, and we should apologize again. You know, uh, I know you all were looking forward to Christmas vacation, but unfortunately, real life gets in the way sometimes. Steve sadly got a little got bit sick, food he, pretty bad, and bad. and our friend Mike Mike Ross, who was going to come back, if you all remembered, you enjoyed when we did uh, Holy, uh, Grail. Holy Grail. Yeah. He was coming in with presents and with some strong opinions about how we've been doing the show, which we were both looking forward to having a fun discussion with one of our friends. His family member got sick, or his daughter got sick, and so it pushed everything back. But we will definitely have Christmas vacation in the new year. But in the meantime, this is our Christmas gift to you all, this discussion about it. Uh, and certainly, uh, hopefully, it's a nice present for you to open. So without further ado, I give you Scott Mance, John Roca, and Steve Morris as the cinephiles discuss Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, 
Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host of numerous shows in LA, and occasionally an actor. And today, this, <laughs> is, this is one of the most anticipated episodes Ever in the history of the cinephiles, and I'm so excited that we finally get a chance to sit down with our guest. Yes, and our guest, uh, no further ado, let me introduce from Access Hollywood, Scott Mance. Scott, welcome to the cinephiles. Guys, thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here to talk about the one thing that I love talking about more than anything. Really? And that is you, Roka. What? No! <laughs> you! I mean, after all this time, yes. for us to be in the same room. I can't believe we've come to a truce. A truce. Yeah. A temporary truce, temporary my truce. friend. For the next hour or so, you and I are going to put aside our differences. Our differences. Talk about something that we both love, and Absolutely. that is Star Trek. Star Trek Two. Star Trek Two. The Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan, yeah. which is, as we all know, widely hailed as the greatest Star Trek movie of them all. Absolutely. The Citizen Kane of Star <laughs> Trek movies. I one hundred percent agree, and I just want to say, gentlemen, that I want to thank you for yes. coming together, for putting aside whatever history or differences or bad blood you have. Yeah. And but this, this is how much we love Star Trek. That's right. That's right. That we are we are we are stepping aside. We yeah. are we are putting our differences. Aside, it is it is basically like remember in 1975 when uh, the Apollo uh, Soyuz mission happened and the the Americans and the Soviets <laughs> met in space and they shook hands and everything was great for like five minutes. And then that's what this is. That is what this is. <laughs> what a connection. So, what a connection. <laughs> so in in, a, in an hour hour and a half we'll be back to the Cold War. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. I liken it to Kirk in six in Star Trek six when Spock is trying to convince him to help the Klingons. He says they'll die. He goes, let, let them die. die. Well, I, I, I certainly 
really hope that nobody's going to die under this circumstance. I don't know. Um, Black and Ashley. There seems to be a lot of passion in the room. <laughs> And I and I think most of that passion comes from Star Trek. Scott, tell Absolutely. me, how did you first come to Star Trek? What is the origin of your love? My, my the origin of my love for Star Trek goes way back to 1974. Yeah. I was a six year old kid growing up in Northeast Philadelphia, and I'll never forget the moment we were playing in the cul de sac. We were playing wiffle ball, me and my friends. Wow. And this guy Mitchell Paul, who I'm still friends with, we're, we're buddies on Facebook. He realized it's seven o'clock. Drops the bat, runs inside, and we're all looking around going, like, where the heck is he going? So I go in to his basement door. He's already sitting in front of the TV. And the first image, the first image that was in my head was the landing party beaming up to the Enterprise, which consisted of Kirk, Uhura, McCoy, and Scotty. What's the episode? Just based on that landing party. Kirk, Uhura, McCoy, and Scotty. Oof, I can't say. Um... Mm, that's wow. a good one. Yeah. Okay, the answer, my friends, is mirror, mirror. Oh, of course oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Of course so it is. So they beam up to the Enterprise, and the lightning is going on. Yeah. Yeah. And you see the Enterprise flying across the screen from left to right. Then there's the flash of light, and it's flying from right to left. Yeah. And this episode, there was so much going on in this episode. It is. It flies by. There's uh, the first two acts. Wait, Mirror Mirror is your first Star Trek episode? Mirror Mirror is my first Star Trek wow. episode. It is the one that got me into Star Trek, but as you know, it is not a typical episode no. of Star yeah. Trek. You, yeah. you went in when they when the characters were all changed. Yeah. You, wow. You, yeah. You're, you're, you're spending 90% of your time in the Mirror Universe with Spock, with the goatee. Yeah. And, love love uh, goatee Spock. It, it's, you only see the uh, the Prime Universe for a little bit, you know, yeah. when when the evil crew is in the brig. Right. You know, what is it? We'll buy you, Spock. Power? Fascinating. <laughs> Power, Spock. I can get that for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's full Shatner, by the way. But, but, the, yeah. but the, what, what got me, in addition to that episode, now, Channel 17 in Philadelphia was rare in a couple of instances. On one hand... They showed the complete episodes. They were not stripped for syndication like oh, wow. they were in other areas of the country. That's great. Like New York City on WPIX Channel 11, they showed 44 or 45 minutes of a 50-minute episode. Wow. In Philadelphia, they showed the entire oh, episode. Cool. That's great. And they showed it in production order, not in the order that it aired. Oh, really? Oh, wow. So... So you don't start with man trap. You no, start with yeah. You start with where no man has right. gone before. Yeah. Then go into corbomite maneuver. Then go into mud's women. Right. Yeah. Uh, then mirror mirror. I love. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, the enemy within. But because they were showing it in production order, they were showing the beginning of the second season. Now I always felt, and I still feel, yeah. that the beginning of the second season is really when the original series was at its best. Mm -hmm. You know, first season was great. But the beginning of the second season, you had Mirror Mirror, A Mock Time, Who Mourns for Outer Nights, Metamorphosis, A yeah. Personal Favorite, The Doomsday Machine, The Trouble with Tribbles, The Changeling. Boom, 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 boom. Every single night at 7 o'clock. Yeah. And as a six-year-old kid, like, uh, Kirk was my hero. Mm -hmm. Kirk of course. was my hero. He, he always said and did the right thing. Yeah. He was a man of action. And... He was a man of action. <laughs> he sure was. He sure as hell was. Yeah. What's not to love? Right. That's why I still want to be Captain Kirk. <laughs> Who doesn't? Right. So, so John, how about you? 
Uh, yeah. Almost similar to that, except in Virginia, growing up as a small, growing up a small child, like because I'm Latino, I'm growing up in a prominently Latino neighborhood at the time in Falls Church. So for me, TV was my escape. My parents purposely put sat me in front of a television to learn English because they're from Bolivia. They didn't want me to speak with an accent. They had seen the racism that existed around the country or around our area of people who spoke with an accent. So my parents were determined that I would not speak with any kind of Latino accent. So they would plant me in front of televisions and I would just watch while they worked. And they had a lady taking care of me who was a, a, a 70-year-old lady. And so one of the things that I discovered in the afternoon or watching at night was... Star Trek. I could watch Star Trek, and the first one I saw was the one with Captain Pike, where he's debil- he's debilitated, oh, yeah. and the, oh, and the, the beeps. Yeah, Menagerie with the dudes with the heads and the veins. Right, like, sure. All of that for a young kid like me to see this level of adult stuff in Star Trek was so engrossing to me. And from that point forward, I became a massive fan of Star Trek. And just like Scott. An incredible fan of Captain Kirk. I love Shatner to death. One of my greatest life highlights. I can go to my grave having asked Shatner a question at Comic-Con and having him answer it in such a fantastic way. And I got to tell him how he reminded me of my father because he very much has the same kind. My dad had the same kind of energy as Kirk. And I think that's what I kind of gravitated to Star Trek more as I was a child because my dad was always working and he was, so he was almost never home until later on at night. So in a way, me watching Kirk was me connecting with my father, spending time because my dad could be very much like an old school, like Kirk, you know, he's like, you do this. You don't have any questions. Just do it. You know, there was, <laughs> he spoke <laughs> in absolute. He did sometimes. He really but, but with a Bolivian but accent. With a, well, yes, when he spoke English, but then in Spanish, you know, it's like, you know, entiendo por qué haces esto. You know, he would just do these oh. kinds of things. And so for me, wow. it was always so. I've I never loved to, your dad so much I as I do right now. He was so great. He was so. And so when I got to ask Shadow that question at Comic Con a couple years ago, it was everything to me everything to me to have him hear that and say thank you because he had passed from cancer I got to tell him that and Shatner was so warm in a room full of 2,500 people he was so warm and I've worshipped him since and I know his personal stuff whatever but for me I watched T.J. Hooker I watched sure. everything that he was in and of course Boston Legal which was the greatest thing he did since Star Trek in absolutely my agree Denny Crane yeah that. exactly yep, absolutely so Mad Cow all that stuff he was so great but Star Trek was the thing and also because it was a multi-racial cast. Right. And for me, that was really new as a Latino kid once again. Uh, there were no Latinos in Star Trek, but like there were people of different origins, different ethnicities. Right. And so for me, there was a connection there constantly and just the fascination of exploring these social issues, which still remains a very strong part of my personality and my makeup as a human being, focusing on social issues. You know? and, this, and Star Trek did that. Yeah, so for me, it's, yeah. it's, it's the same. You know, same era. It's I don't I don't know what my first Star Trek episode was. It probably was 1974 or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was coming home from school. I was in in the Bay Area, so yeah. it was on Channel Two or Channel Twenty, and it was. And I remember as a kid, it was like, oh, right now Star Trek's on at five o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Oh, now it's on six on this channel. Oh, it's on ten o'clock at night. <laughs> Wherever it was, I was going to watch it. And I, you know, we talked about formative things on this show before. For yeah. me, comic books were obviously a really formative thing. The first time I saw. Enter the Dragon that created this lifelong love of martial arts. Star Trek might be the most formative thing in my life. Oh. It really might be. Uh, I've been rewatching all the episodes. There's a wonderful podcast called Mission Log, and they're going through every single episode of Star Trek, including the animated series. So now I'm in the middle of Next Generation. People don't love the animated series enough. I do. I, that's a good series. It's some I, of those episodes. I love it enough too. Well, the, 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 the animated series. Yeah. Some of those episodes would have made damn fine live action shows yeah. like yesteryear. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
that would have been a great episode. Yeah, they're all no, no absolutely. Yeah. Uh, for me, the the moral core of the show and the ideas of the of the show yeah. are just created what the way I look at the world. Like one of the big things I love about Star Trek is they don't really have evil. You know, evil is a con a concept that you see in Lord of the Rings or you see in Star Wars is this, this is bad. These yeah. are the bad people. Right. This is the dark side. Right. And Star Trek is always evil is this thing that means you don't understand the other side. Now, yeah. it doesn't mean there aren't adversaries. It doesn't mean there aren't people doing bad things, but they're always doing bad things for a reason. Yeah. There's always a motivation behind it. And the other you know, big idea of learning of the idea of we might disagree but we can go work together to accomplish a goal and right. learn a thing mm -hmm. these are things having done you know i was out on a boat in mexico doing a great white shark documentary and trying to articulate why there are guys in the water riding on the backs of great white sharks and the phrase that kept going in through my head is risk is our business that the starship is all about that's what the this, that's why we're, and it's like this is as yeah. like those words they go with me my whole life and as we look at the politics in our world today and the issues that we're facing in the world today the sh star trek morality is still a guide for me absolutely the morality that you're describing yeah. is one of the most endearing aspects of star trek beyond the characters themselves mm -hmm. and a large reason for that was because you know in the late 60s when we had vietnam civil rights right. the counterculture the cold war and Feminine, here's the feminism this show, yeah. right, okay, here's a show in 1966 that had the balls to put a, an Asian, mm -hmm. a Russian, uh, a, a black woman, yeah. uh, a Scottish guy, and an alien, like a real alien, yeah. all together, and their, their backgrounds made no difference. It didn't matter. But they were all there. The diversity was was represented, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. But also the, the moralities that you're talking about that we don't understand it. So when you have episodes like The Devil in the Dark, where right. they mm -hmm. don't understand what the Horde is. It's a monster killing its people. We got to kill it. Right. But then when they realize it is a mother protecting its young and they go, whoa, we were wrong. Yep. Right. Or metamorphosis. The companion is holding us here. We got to get off the planet so we can get Commissioner Heffer to the Enterprise. We got to kill it. Wait a minute. The, co the companion is a woman in love with Zephyr Cochran. Right. Oh, we were wrong. That even in the 23rd century, in the 24th century, yeah. we are not perfect, but we're always striving for that perfection. Right. Yeah. Learning what it means to be human. And that is what makes Star Trek different from other space operas like mm -hmm. Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica or Doctor Who. Yeah. I mean... And it's no disrespect to those shows or what no, those are. It's no, just different. none at all. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah. 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 So uh, let's... To get to Wrath of Khan, yeah. and, you know, we got a long journey to go through, yeah. we have to start off with this idea that this is the first television series that had a fan following that was so powerful that it brought back Star Trek the motion picture and we have to talk a little bit about Star Trek the motion picture before we get to Wrath of Khan so uh, that comes out it's 79? 79 December 7th December 7th I knew <laughs> I knew that you would have the date Yes, mister. <laughs> Scott Mance, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I remember I was in line with my family at the Cinema One in Larkspur to go see it opening night. Mm. And when I was a kid, I loved it. I did too. I do not love it now. I still love it. I still love it. I love yeah. it more, actually. I, do, I, I, I even love the extended director's cut. I don't you. care. It, to me, it's yeah. an extended Star Trek episode, and I love it to pieces. Okay, but why don't you love it? Yeah. 
Um, or why did you love it then, but you don't love it now? Well, I loved it then because I was 11. <laughs> and because it was Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, I loved all Star Trek. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying I hate it. Um, but it is vast and special very impressed with its own special effects i don't think they have the characters quite right particularly kirk who's kind of an asshole Mm. throughout the movie that's a big problem in terms of who you know because i love kirk too and also it it drifts in terms of its plot points it doesn't hit them plus we're in sort of a real retread of areas that we've handled pretty well with nomad and doomsday machine and all Mm. those things in the original series and it's sort of like i kind of been here before yeah um and so did I love it when it came out? Yeah. Did I watch it on Showtime over and over and over again? Yeah. Is it Star Trek? Yes, it is. Is it what all of the Star Trek fans wanted? No. 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 Well, I would say for me, the reason I still love it, Steve, is because at its heart, it's this love story between the Stephen Collins character and the alien... Ilea. The Ilea, yeah. right? Which is what... It, which is what it, and it's interesting to me because that's the first episode I watched of the Star Trek series is this love between Captain Pike and the girl on the mm. planet. And so for me, Venus. Star Trek has always been about love. And so the, oh. the, the connection I have with the, with, the, with the original movie, the motion picture, is because to me, it's a love story. And so since that's, that was my entryway into the Star Trek series itself originally, the movie works for me in that way still. And you have Kirk doing his thing, Spock doing his thing, and those weird, it's almost 2001-ish. Or, um, yeah, 2001-ish. 2001-ish. You're right. Yeah, yeah. You're right. having these like interesting angular things and where they're at and the whole V'ger thing is like so easily figured out but it's still this confrontation of once again what you said Scott we think this thing is evil we need to destroy it oh we were wrong it's something else right. you know alright here's the thing okay Steve you, t- you hit on something that that is what I love about the film first of all when I saw the movie on the day it came out my dad took me to see it I was 11 when's your birthday uh, October 14th, Okay, November 21st, 1968. Wow. We are absolutely <laughs> yeah, right there together, brother. All right, so <laughs> so here's the thing. Like, like as a kid, yeah, I loved Star Wars. Mm. Uh, I loved Alien, um, sure. the first Superman movie. All those movies oh, yeah. were, were like the beginning of this uh, like seven or eight year revolution in film yeah. uh, that Spielberg and Lucas and like Zemeckis were doing. But... You know, the motion picture for me, what I loved about it initially in 79 was seeing the Enterprise on the big screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay? Me too. Yeah. The special effects are unique. Uh, it was a very hard movie to make. Douglas Trumbull was called in at the last minute. Douglas Trumbull, who did the effects on uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey mm, and so Close Encounters. Yeah, uh, so he had to rush. And, and it did work. You know, it, it in, in the end, it worked. But it was not pleasant for him. But my love for motion picture changed over the years. And once I started reviewing movies in uh, 98 and then went back and watched uh, motion picture again, I realized that motion picture is actually a really good film because the characters are not the characters that we love from the original series. And what I say about that is basically... Motion picture is supposed to take place two and a half years after the end of the original mm-hmm. series. So so Kirk pulls a dick move to get the Enterprise does, back. Yeah. Spock has his own motive to be back on the Enterprise. Right. McCoy just doesn't want to be there because he was happy doing his practice back on Earth. <laughs> so now these characters who have been working together for five years, who had this amazing chemistry in the original series... 
they have to learn how to work together again. again. Yes. They have to rediscover who they are to each other and yeah. who they are to themselves. Like, remember, you know, when, when Admiral Kirk is on the Enterprise, like, he doesn't know where Turbo Shaft 8 is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's his ship, and he pulled that dick move to get it from Decker. So, yeah, he is an unlikable character. Yeah. But chronologically, in terms of the story and the evolution of those characters, it did make sense. Right. But it's but it and to this day, it, it, I see it as a Star Trek's answer to two thousand one, yeah. not Star Trek's answer right. to Star Wars. Yeah. Well, and I think I think what it is is it's a t- part of it is the difference between being a, t- a TV series and a movie. Because in a TV series, I'm going to forgive the episodes that aren't A+. Right. Because you can't deliver all these A-plus episodes. In a movie, the status, the standards go higher. Because we're, we're going to wait a long time. You're going to spend a lot of money. And so is Star Trek, the motion, pi- motion picture, as bad as many of the bad Star Trek episodes? No, it's no. pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It hits kind of in the middle for me. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it worthy of a Star Trek movie? It's it's fine, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and the interesting thing is they spend a lot of money, forty six mil, yeah. way way over budget, and it does okay. That's my understanding. Yeah. It doesn't do great. It does just well enough that they say uh, maybe we could do one more, but you're going to get a lot less money. And where the original, well, the original, the first movie was done by the motion picture division at Paramount. The second film was done by the TV mm. division. It was Which basically a television production for the big screen yeah. where the first movie cost about $46 million to make. The second one cost a little over $11 million wow. to make. <laughs> so it cost a third less and it was 30 times more exciting. Yes. And this is one of the, you know, we always want to talk to young filmmakers out yeah. there, people who appreciate film. Money is not the answer. Great. Yeah. Sometimes money, money really helps. It's really nice to have. <laughs> yeah. Money does not make your movie good. Creativity and good ideas and great characters and wonderful scripts, that's what makes your movie good. Yeah. If you don't have those things and you have a lot of money, you have a very expensive bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so we move into... Uh, preparing for Rathacon, and we got to bring up this guy who I think is really the elephant in the room, and that's Gene Roddenberry. Yes. Uh, Well, well, for starters, Gene created the show, and he was listed as a producer on Star Trek The Motion Picture, which, as you said, went over budget. There were major problems. He was very difficult to work with. He, uh, you know, was was a, a, a thorn in the side of the studio. He was a thorn in the side of the director, Robert Wise, so when it came time to produce the second film, uh, Wrath of Khan, the studio decided to go with Harv Bennett. Mm-hmm. And Gene Roddenberry was listed as a creative consultant, which basically means nothing. Yes. Harv Bennett was basically the Gene Kuhn of the Star Trek movies. The way Gene, Gene Kuhn came into the original series halfway through the first season after Gene Roddenberry stepped down as a day-to-day producer. And what Gene Kuhn did with the original series was he took what was something that was already great and he made it better. Mm-hmm. He gave he gave the show more humor, more heart. He he developed the characters further, made them more fully realized, and this is crucial, he further solidified the dynamic between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah. Right. So what Gene Kuhn did for the original series is what Harv Bennett did for the Star Trek movies. Well, and the thing that I think is so important to talk about is we want to put people up on a pedestal, that you are the great man. And that's true of Gene Roddenberry. It's true of George Lucas. It's true of other people. And 
most of the time, certainly in the film world, but in a lot of other worlds too, this is a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. No one person comes up with all the good ideas, and it's not particularly healthy to have a whole bunch of sycophants sitting around you telling you you're great. Prequels. Yeah. Well, this is this is exactly what I'm saying. Now, now, Wrath of Khan, like like before they got to you know the person we're going to get to in a minute, Gene Roddenberry had written a draft uh, of, of of a Star Trek film where the Enterprise went back in oh, time right. to kill Kennedy to or, or to stop Ken- him from being killed. Yeah. yeah, not to kill Kennedy. And yeah, not that's to a kill. different movie. But yeah, but I mean, it's that's like mirror, mirror. but and I read I read that and it was a mess. Oh I mean, really? You read it? It, oh, it wow. was a mess. Like I mean, uh, you know, you, you know, Kirk had had uh, issues with with JFK, and they're talking on the bridge of the Enterprise. I mean, it was so stupid. <laughs> and it was uh. so stupid. I Thank just God, like the Bay of Pigs. I didn't like the Bay of Pigs. Yeah. So, 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 so we're moving forward with Harv Bennett. There are several different scripts, and this first of all, this rumor starts to go around. Not rumor. Uh, Nimoy might not want to do it, and if he does, he wants to die. Is that correct? That was how they got Leonard to come back for the second film. Yeah. Was we're going Hart Bennett was already sort of steering the ship at this point and he said, We want to go we want you to go out in a blaze of glory. And he said, Okay. Like like he thought, you know what, if I can go out and this is it. And this is after he almost didn't even come back for Star Trek the Motion Picture mm-hmm. because he was upset with Paramount over the licensing of his image throughout the 70s right. as Spock, and he never got a dime for it. So he wasn't going to do the motion picture at all. They were going to recast the character of Spock oh until God. Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was at the studio at oh, the right. time, said to Leonard Nimoy, look, we are doing Star Trek the motion picture. We are going to have the character of Spock in this movie. How would you feel if someone else other than you played that character? So they settled – he did the he did the first movie, but with the second film, it was all right. I uh, if you're gonna if if it's really gonna go down like this, I'm in, and yeah. that brings that brings us to to another. Well, I don't want to say an unsung hero, but I would say a, a genius writer director who crafted a brilliant film on an $11 million budget, Nicholas Meyer. Yeah, Yeah. you you can't give him enough credit, I think. And particularly for a guy who apparently didn't watch Star Trek. Like for him to come in and understand one of the key things is this is about people. Mm -hmm. This is about a family. This is about relationships. And all of those spectacular effects that are in the first film isn't really what Star Trek's about. It's not that I have anything against spectacular effects. They're great. But if you don't have that core, then it's not working right. Yeah. Right. And they repaired all the stuff that you have talked about here that you felt was not correct in the motion picture. Right. The characters are more defined. They're more like we remember them from the TV series. The, the interaction between Kirk and Spock is really the anchor. Once again... A love story. That is a love story. It's a bromance. That's a good point. But it is a love story. No question about it. Those two guys, for me, will always supersede any other characters in the history of film for me. You know, not not to jump too far ahead into the chronology of the show, but, you know, the scene in in uh, in, in the quarters where... Where uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are talking about the Genesis yeah. effect, the banter yes. that no. is absolutely that is classic from Star the Trek. original series. Yeah. Right. That is classic Star Trek. I go yeah. right there. That's Star Trek. Really, Doctor. Yeah. So le- you should learn to govern your. There'll be the death of you. It's such a brilliant awesome. thing. Logic, yeah. my God, the man's talking about logic. We're talking about universal Armageddon. Why you green-blooded, green-blooded human? human. 
<laughs> yes. Well, let's get into the movie, yes. shall we? Yes, let's do it. So we start off on the bridge of the Enterprise. Well, but before we even get to that point, we have to we have to point out that when they when it came time, what are we going to do for the second film? Right, the they story. They went back yeah. and oh, they sure. rewatched all seventy nine crown jewels, as they called them, all the seventy nine episodes of the original series. And there was something about one particular episode that stood out to producer Harv Bennett. I'm this mud? character <laughs> that stood out, but for different reasons. Um, Stella, dear, <laughs> I um, love that episode. <laughs> um, it was it was Spacey, yeah. and this character, absolutely one of the top three guest starring actors. On a Star Trek episode, right. oh yeah, Ricardo Montalban as Khan. Watching that episode, I don't care how many times I watch it, his delivery mm-hmm. in Space Seed is magnetic. Yeah, you can see why those people would follow him into space. Exactly. You could see why Marla MacGyver's would open your heart. Will you, you open, open your heart? heart? Yeah. I intend to take this ship. And you're just like, whoa. At the end of the episode, the end of Space Seed, during the trial, the yeah. hearing, where he goes, you know what? I'm not going to take you to a penal colony. We're passing by the city alpha star system. Planet five is, is habitable. Spock, it's a, it's a bit hostile, but sure. So, so Kirk banishes the crew of the Botany Bay to city alpha five. Right. And that's, and this is a show that was produced in 1966. It aired in 67. That line that Kirk says goes, those men on, those men went on to tame a colony can you tame a world? And Khan looks at Kirk and says, have you ever read Milton, Captain? Kirk goes, yes, I understand. It is better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. Yes. That brings us to the wrath of Khan. And I want to say... By one, the way, I got a little chill. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was well introduced. And I, I did too! And for me, <laughs> and it's the perfect thing because... It is the rare actor that could stand toe-to-toe with Shatner on Star Trek's series and almost supersede him, which is why it's such a perfect choice to use him for Khan. Absolutely. And and as a Latino guy, this was another reason to love this series so much, to have a villain like this portrayed by one of our princes, our kings in the Latino acting community like Ricardo Montalban. By any measure, yeah. John, any measure yep. of Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, reg- regardless of race. of the grace. Yes. By any measure, just Agreed. absolutely fantastic. Yes. He, he is. But, but so, Nicholas Meyer, who had great success uh, as an author of The 7% seven, seven Solution. Oh, yeah. Great. And as a, as a writer-director yeah. of the movie Time, Time After Time. Which is really good. I, that I, is, I haven't watched that in a long time. Still holds up. Still Saw it last year on Encore. Yes, it sure does. Still holds Matthew up. McDowell. David Warner, Ronnie McDowell, Mary Steenburgen. Yep. Fantastic stuff. But so, so the, the amazing thing about, about Wrath of Khan is, is when they were all working on the screenplay that – Nick Meyer, maybe it was just like a, a, an adrenaline rush, or maybe he had a triple mocha from Starbucks. Whatever it was, he was able to rework the screenplay from scratch in 11 days. Wow. Yeah. 11 days. And putting so much into that story, beyond being an action-adventure, it, uh, it is a story about mortality, mm-hmm. about growing old, 
It is a story um, about friendship, about a, revenge, a, about friendship, about love, father and yeah. son stuff. The, the father right. son stuff. Right. Right. Uh, it's it's, it's um, the enemy below in space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or run silent. Well, this is one of the great choices he makes. Is that he goes, oh, it's it's the navy. You know, yeah. uh, one of the interesting things, like if you watch Star Wars, Star Wars has a uh, Air Force aircraft carrier model. Mm-hmm. We have big ships and we have little fighter planes and everything moves fast. And Star Trek has a naval submarine model. Right. Like that's how the strategy and the way and the pace of things and the way things work. And, yeah. and, and Nicholas Meyer saw that and he added to it. He built that up. Uh, against the uh, sort of, I would say, I don't want to say approval but uh, to to sort of the dismay of yeah. Gene Roddenberry, Nicholas Meyer gave Star Trek II a military feel. Yeah. He gave it a nautical feel. The uniforms were much more military. Mm-hmm. The cinematography, the lighting on the Enterprise is much darker. The musical score by James Horner. I was going to say, absolutely mm-hmm. military. Like the scene Very where they're so. speeding away from regular, heading towards the Mutara Nebula, oh, yeah. and they're getting the Enterprise ready for battle is one of the best scenes in the film. The way everybody on all the decks, they're like, you know, getting the Enterprise ready, you know, the photon torpedo tube and everything. Mm -hmm. The music of that film, James Horner, I think it's his best score above Titanic, above Aliens. Wow. So let's get get into the film. Yeah, getting into the film. Okay, so do you guys ever hear of Starlog Magazine? Yes, of course. course. Okay, Starlog Magazine was the magazine that I grew up with. Yeah. Before the internet, I got my sci-fi fix from Starlog Magazine, started in 1976, and you know, in the early 80s, it was like every month I couldn't read that that magazine fast enough. Mm-hmm. And then I remember in 1981 uh reading uh rumors that Spock in Star Trek II The Vengeance of Khan, as it was originally called, mm. rumors are that he's going to die. Yes. And I said I to my dad, this. I said, they're going to kill Spock. He goes, no, they're not. Right. They're not going to kill Spock. Don't worry about it. Well, okay, so on June 4th, 1982, at 6.30 p.m. at the New Orleans <laughs> Theater in Northeast Philadelphia, this guy was second in line. Wow. That motherfucker who was ahead of me <laughs> kept me from being first. But so his life didn't go. It all went downhill after but, that. That but, was his know, peak. This is back in the day when you did not get tickets online. Oh, no. You did not have reserved seats. You, you went stand in line. hours yep. before. Sure, you yeah. Remember? I missed oh, yeah. those days, of man. So so I left school early that day. It was a Friday, and I waited in line. And as the line grew and grew and grew, uh, I was one of the younger people in the line. A lot of people were older, but because we're all hanging out, we're all talking about Star Trek, I held my own pretty good with these guys. <laughs> so then the movie starts. Great score, uh, opening uh, credits uh, with the with James Horner's yeah. new Star Trek score, which I thought was great. Yeah. So so then you have, wait, who's this like Vulcan in the yeah, captain's, in the captain's chair? chair? Yeah. And then there's the, the, the battle, yeah. and then there's explosions on the bridge. And then Spock dies. Right. And then Spock opens his eyes. Yes. And I went, boy, they had us good, didn't they? They fooled us. Yeah. They made it look like he was dying right. and he didn't die. Boy, those clever <laughs> filmmakers. 
They're not going to kill Spock. That was all just a ploy. <laughs> it's a brilliant way not only to psych out the audience, but also make the ending unexpected. Yes. You know, is that now, because now you feel safe. You're like, oh, uh, good. Yeah, yes. exactly. Well, good. He's not going to uh, die. Phew. Right? Yeah. It's not going to happen. Right. So we have this great sequence. And of course, who is our strange Vulcan in the captain's chair? But it's Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley. Who... I love in Star Trek. She's yeah, fantastic. She's great. And she's I wish great. she'd come back for the third yeah. one. I can't understand why she didn't come back for the third one. She, yeah, well, which was ridiculous. Which ridiculous. is ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. She was so So we're saying that Kiersey Alley maybe doesn't always make the best career <laughs> she, you think? choices. All right. But, but you know, the thing well, but, about that scene is uh, after, you know, Savick is in the chair saying, uh, all hands abandoned ship, yeah. all hands abandoned ship. And then you hear, you hear his voice. Yes. Activate escape pods. Send out the log boy. All hands abandoned ship. Repeat. All hands abandoned ship. All right, open her up. Any suggestions, Admiral? Prayer, Mr. Savick. The Klingons don't take prisoners. Lights. Yeah. Lit from behind. You hear. So amazing. And then lights. Boom. There he is, yeah. Admiral James T. Fucking Kirk, baby. <laughs> yes, he's back and he looks great in that yeah. red uniform. Well, and, and this is, you know, this is something we talk about all the time. Yeah. How your characters enter the film is a big deal. Yeah. This is an entrance. Yes. That's an entrance. That's how you make an entrance. That's a heroic entrance. And yet the Kirk that we meet is kind of different than he, the Kirk that we're used to. But he's still crotchety as he was in the first film. He still has that shades of his kind of crotchety nature because so he is caught up in his own kind of like confronting his own midlife crisis. Right, but yeah. that, that's we where it's coming that from. It's yes. coming from this yes. internal place mm -hmm. of this is a guy who's lost. Yep. You know, he doesn't know who he is right, right. now. Right. And he is heading in a, to a very dark place. Yes. I think if if Khan doesn't come back, I'm not saying that Khan coming back is a good thing because he kills a whole bunch of people. Well, it does for this <laughs> movie. But, but, in terms <laughs> of, but in terms of Kirk's life, mm -hmm. without this Khan coming back, I don't think he, he goes where he go, can go. Well, you know, the scene in the quarters uh, where McCoy goes to give him the uh, the glasses, uh, the glasses for yeah. his birthday yeah. and the Romulan ale, which is illegal. <laughs> um, you well, know, that's... Well, to be clear, McCoy is an alcoholic. Oh, absolutely. He, <laughs> he is. and Scotty are both Remember alcoholics. Remember the conscience of the king? Of course. When, yeah, when they're right. in the sick bay and, and, Kirk, uh, <laughs> and McCoy says to Spock, would you like a, drink, a drop of the crew? And he goes, uh, my spot, my father was uh, spared to do these benefits of alcohol. <laughs> and McCoy goes, oh, now I know why they were conquered. <laughs> 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 but, but, you know, that scene in Kirk's quarters, like I remember when I was a kid, yeah. I thought that, was, that scene was a little slow. But, you know, as a oh, grown-up, yeah. it is a great you scene. You get it. Damn it, Jim, what the hell is the matter with you? Other people have birthdays. Why are we treating yours like a funeral? Bones, I don't want to be lectured. What the hell do you want? Kirk is having a midlife crisis. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like being an admiral. He doesn't like having a desk job. Right. He admits he misses that seat once on the bridge again, of the Enterprise. And once again, it's a fantastic, ballsy decision to make to make your hero go through a midlife crisis in the second film of a franchise that you're trying to launch. You don't make him like Indiana Jones. You don't make him like this regal, like swashbuckling guy. No, there's an internal struggle that he's trying to figure out in his head and his friends are trying to help him through it and as best they can. As best you know? they can. And I think this was smart because the, the, the people who had watched Star Trek, majority of the people who had been adults were in this, their own experience at that time themselves. And so That's they could relate point. and connect. And the kids too, because you understand seeing your father go through it. There's a connection. Right. Well, there. there was also, you know, uh, I, I mentioned how 
how it, when motion picture came out, it had been 10 years since the end of yeah. the original series, right. but the characters were only supposed to have aged two and a half years, right. yeah. which isn't really fair to them that they had to look only two and a half years yeah. older when in fact they were 10. But now, you know what? That is such a bizarre choice, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's like there is a reality here. Right. <laughs> what difference does it make? Say it's 10 years. But now, now all bets are off. And right. they acknowledge that. I mean, even when Kirk later in the film is reminiscing about right. Connie, goes, "As a man, I've, I haven't seen a 15, 15 years, years. Yeah, 15. trying to kill me." So, okay, we're acknowledging that it has been 15 years yeah. since the the swashbuckling Captain Kirk in right. the original series, and he is dealing with his mortality, and he's dealing with like, who who am I yeah. without without that center seat on the Enterprise? Yeah. And one of the things that's so good for a screenwriter is you you never want to be doing just one thing right. you always want to be doing multiple things at once and the and the glasses are a great example of this mm -hmm. the glasses are a you love old things we see all these antiques on kirk's wall yeah. b it's you you need these i'm a doctor i'm prescribing these glasses for you, you need them yeah. c they're a reminder of your age and then they come back throughout the film and we see them. They're, they're this feeling of embarrassment for him. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, they're broken. And so it's not... And so we let the, we have this one prop, but this prop is doing all this heavy lifting for symbolic, us yeah. throughout the film because it's so symbolic, exactly. Right. And the book he gives him too. It was the best of times. Yeah, the was the books, from, yeah. books from Spock. Charles yeah. Dickens. He says, and he says it. Message? And, none that I'm aware of. Except, of course, except happy, happy birthday. birthday. <laughs> Surely the best of times. Surely the best of times. And the worst of times, right. you know. Times. But that's Spock trying to lift up his spirits as best he can because he's a Vulcan. He's so, not going to so do it like So you're talking about a screenplay. You're talking about a story that does many things, like you said. It infuses yeah. Charles Dickens. It infuses her, Melville. Melville. Yeah, Melville. Melville. Yeah, Melville Dick. Melville Dick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Khan is Ahab. And Kirk is the whale. Yeah. Well, and Star Trek has a long tradition of using Shakespeare and yeah. literature. Yeah. And Nick Myers comes in and sees that and goes, oh, we can do that. And he happens to pick two great books mm -hmm. that are they're just perfect so okay yeah. we've we've got kirk feeling old uh and now we have to go off to the reliant and see our good friend chekhov yes. chekhov right yeah commander chekhov commander chekhov right. who's gonna beam down to this planet because they're looking for a life form city out right. six so we think well, they're, well, they're looking yeah. for a planet that does not have life right does it have so to be completely lifeless the, this new this new uh genesis device yeah. Because there can't be so much as a microbe, or the or the probe is off. <laughs> right. So they're like, oh well, it might be a particle of preeminent matter caught in a matrix that we can just whatever that means, elsewhere. Right? <laughs> well, maybe they should have just moved on. Yeah, I mean, first of all, this was not we don't have a movie. Six. Yeah. This was SETI Alpha Five, which was uh, uh, adjusted after SETI Alpha Six exploded. Right. But. Talk about a great buildup, a great setup. You know, uh, Chekhov and Captain Terrell, played by the great Paul Winfield. Yeah, he's great. Beam down and, uh, you know, they... Go they, through the crazy sandstorm. You can't yeah. see. You're disoriented. They're disoriented. Yeah. They get inside the, uh, the, 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 the cargo holds and they see books, you know, Paradise yeah. Lost. Yes. Moby Dick. Moby call, Dick. Yes, the call out. And, and, and they see this thing lurking in, in, a, in a cage of sorts. Right. What the hell is that, is what Terrell says. And, you know, Chekhov just, like, you know, braces himself, holding onto a belt where the buckle says, Botany Bay. <laughs> I, I still get the chills yeah. from that scene, mm -hmm. even though he was not in Space Seed. Sure. Right. Sure. You know, maybe he was just in the lower decks of the Enterprise at that time. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. But Which when is he goes, his contention. Just that, that look. We, we, he's freaking scared. Yeah. We, we got to get out of here now. Damn. Like, he's like, oh, man, we yeah. got to get out of here. Right. And they, they 
you know, sure enough, uh, the entire Botany Bay crew is right outside. And right? we talk about entrances and exits. That is an entrance. Yeah. That is, a, and it's not. It's not really an entrance so much as a reveal. Yeah. Slowly by slowly, the pieces come across, come off his face yes. and the mask, and then he takes it off, and it's the long hair, and he looks pissed. And but if you, wa- you know, you say legal. that. Montalban's performance in Space Seed is off the charts, which it is. Yes. It is. He chews the scenery. Yes. And, but in this, it is three steps higher. Yes. The intensity that he brings, speaking softly, just, I mean, he, he is a powerful, powerful dude. On Earth, 200 years ago, I was a prince. Captain Kirk was your host. He repaid his hospitality by trying to steal his ship and murder him. You didn't expect to find me. You thought this was SETI Alpha 6? Why are you here? This is the level of control and relaxed confidence, arrogance to a degree because of his intelligence that comes through right from the beginning in that intro. Just how he talks to Chekhov, how he talks to uh, uh, Paul Winfield's character, Captain Terrell, and how he says to him, but you, I never forget the face. But the thing that's amazing, and this is a great story, is that Walter Koenig read the script saw that he was in this opening scene, knew he had not right. been in Space Seed, and did not tell anybody about it. And he said, he said, because if I told someone, as an actor, you don't ever give up screen time. No, no, and of course not. if he not. had told somebody, they would have rewritten that scene. And, wow. it was so, and so from, the, from that point forward, people had, he, they had to come up with an excuse that he was in a lower deck, that Khan had run into him at some point, <laughs> which is why I remembered his face. And I think it's one of the great lores about this well, film. And, and this, this goes to one of those points, you know, like obviously we're all three geeky people yes. who have like have maybe gotten a little far too into this stuff. Never. And, and, and yes, God never. bless us for it. Yes, yet, and, and yes there are times that you see a thing and you go, um, that in episode 24, <laughs> the, you know, but we do that. But yes. here's the key thing that we have to remember. If it's good, I don't give a shit. Yes. If it's bad, I will point out why you're wrong. Of course. I don't care that Chekhov's not in space seat because yeah. this scene is awesome. Yep. And I will forgive you the fact that, I mean, who cares? Right. It's not important. You gave me a great scene. Yes. My favorite moment of that scene, you know, so you have you have Khan trying to figure out, like, why are you here? And he lets him, why? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he's... Uh, Says, oh, you know, he never told you the tale. Tumi is yeah. your captain. Never told you how the Enterprise picked up the Botany Bay lost in space 15 years ago, commanded by Captain James T. Kirk. Yeah. Just, he's so yeah. mad, yeah. so bitter, so building with vengeance. But first, his anger is upped even more when he finds out that he's Admiral, Admiral Kirk. Kirk. Yeah, Admiral. Yeah. Oh, it's never just told so you how. Great. Admiral Kirk. It's so great. And then he starts with, allow me to introduce you to City Alpha 5's only remaining indigenous. That yeah. scared the shit out of me. Of it course. It still does. It's, the effect still works. There's yeah. some giant plastic ear or whatever they did. Yeah. Man, that is very unsettling. Yeah. Disturbing. Very disturbing. When yeah. watching that as a 13-year-old yeah. for the first time, watching that thing go into Chekhov's ear, watching Terrell... And Chekhov scream their heads off yeah. until, until 
they're not screaming, but you know that they're writhing in pain. And I don't care how many times you see the movie. I don't care how many times you see that scene. It is still a very disturbing scene and very uh, out of the realm for something you would see in Star Trek. This is oh, what yeah. I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah, it completely is. Go ahead, Steve. Well, and, th- well, but, and this is the key to this film is that yeah. – it is recognizably, correctly Star Trek, and it's taking our character of Kirk to a place that we haven't seen him yeah, go before, yep. and it's taking uh, some elements in the story to things that we haven't seen before in yes. Star Trek, but it's still within what is correctly Star Trek. Yes. Um, because you have to push. You know, you ha- you can't just keep cranking out the mm-hmm. same thing. If you're going to do a movie, you have to take us to a new place, but still be honoring where you came from. And if you're going to uh, what you said, Steve, people, it, that the first, the motion picture barely did enough to warrant a second one, you've got to go balls out in the second yeah. one to it's, see if you're going to make it. Go yeah. big or go home. Go big or go home, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, so we come back to the end. We're now back with Kirk, yep. and he's in a shuttlecraft heading the Enterprise. And this is the big thing I want to point out about the difference between Wrath of Khan and Motion Picture mm-hmm. is both of them have a sequence where Kirk is in a shuttle heading to the Enterprise. Well, and it's a lot shorter than the other. Yeah, one is, <laughs> one is like, particularly the director's cut. And the director's cut for Motion true. Picture, that goes on for like eight minutes or something. Yeah. And that sequence in Motion Picture is, look at how amazing our special effects are isn't this amazing and it is beautiful special effects Mm -hmm. and there is no character to it this trip to the enterprise is all about kirk's nervousness and excitement and him feeling his seeing who he was as a young man compared to who he is as an old man and he's filled with internal conflict and that is why it's better and it's, it's so great. He, you know, he says to Sula, I'm glad to have you at the helm for a few weeks. I don't think these kids can steer, you know, mm-hmm. but, but the, the, the shift in tone from the scenes on SETI Alpha 5 and the, the Botany Bay cargo holds, uh, which is very dark and really like setting up what's to come. And then that split second when you see Kirk reading A Tale of Two Cities on the shuttlecraft on the yeah, way to the Enterprise. The and the score becomes very like light and, and, and idealistic. And you know, you're seeing the Enterprise, basically you're seeing the same exact footage that they shot for Star Trek The Motion Picture. And they're just cutting to the chase. Let's get this thing docked. And uh, and then, you know, the way he enters uh, and, and he's seeing Scotty and he goes, uh, Scotty, you're well, you want Space Dog? And he goes, I had a weep out, sir, but Dr. McCoy pulled me through. And uh, Kirk <laughs> goes, oh, we've had a what? McCoy sure goes, leave. Sure leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. And we get Scotty. As, as Kirk goes through the Enterprise, we see his excitement. We yeah. see him, you know, he cuts off the inspection short. We go up to the bridge. We're going to take the ship up. But he's standing in the background. And Shatner's performance is great. So great. Yeah. Shatner's performance in The Wrath of Khan it's his finest hour. No question. Agreed. I mean, you know, people make fun of the scene where he screams Khan, but but his performance that that he nowhere else in in Star Trek or I would say I mean, you know, I watched TJ Hooker yeah. too and I watched our boss Boston Illegal and then the practice where he yeah, originated the, practice, the character right. of Denny Crane. He has never been better than he is. Agreed. His arc mm-hmm. in The Wrath of Khan uh is it is the genius of William Shatner, mm-hmm. and that that you he you know he goes from the way you you see him just you know in a crisis to being excited to be back on the Enterprise to sort of like sort of secretly being excited about sitting in the seat again, even though yeah. he wants to make sure it's cool with Spock. Yeah. But we'll get to that. But also unsettled when McCoy says, "Do you, do you need, want a tranquilizer?" Do you want a tranquilizer? 
the shaking of the head. <laughs> yeah. The shaking of the head to me is everything. By the way, Roka just did a beautiful <laughs> head shake. If this is on video, you would have seen I, it. I, I just, I love that moment because it is the one of those rare moments where we see Captain Kirk purely vulnerable and yeah. weak in that moment. Well, he's not weak vul- in a negative way. Just because human. Human, yes. And which that is, is what, what second Spock later, says to him. When, when, when Savick takes yeah. the Enterprise out and everything is fine, you know, McCoy looks at him and Kirk is like, yeah, piece of cake. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, I wasn't worried at all, Dr. McCoy. So but, great. but it so was such great. a great scene, you know, the way the way the mentor Spock was like, yeah, take her out, Mr. Savick. Yeah. And, and look, it's Spock's Alley. clearly a great teacher. Yeah. Yes. He's the teacher we want to have. He's sensitive. He's tough. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's, you know, got all sorts of wisdom to drop on you. I want to say one thing just about Shatner's performance. Um, this is what Nicholas Meyer said. Is this is how he says he got the performance out of him was a lot of takes. Because what wow. he said was in the first takes, you saw the Shatner persona. Right. <laughs> and that, and that, then in the second take and the third take, and then Shatner would push the persona. He would get bigger. And then what would happen is after many takes, he would just start to get tired. And the Shatner persona would sort of fade away, and you were left with the man. You were and left this, with an organic An organic person yeah. who's yeah. just humanly interacting with these other people. Mm-hmm. And he did this over and over and over again. And, and this is the thing of being a director is, you know, there's the wonderful quote from Orson Welles that the job of the director is to make love to the actors. Yeah. And every actor wants to be made love to in a slightly different way. And, of course, he doesn't mean make love to sexually, although right. he did that sometimes. But he means... <laughs> But he means that you've got to find out the key to unlock the potential of the actor. Yeah. And it seems like Nicholas Myers found a thing here for Shatner. Yeah. And his performance, as you say, is amazing. Well, if you connect what happens with him in Bones with the Romulan ale and the glasses, right. that's that you, he's still strong, but the struggle is there. The midlife crisis is, struggle, is there, and it, it permeates the whole film. This is not about age, and you know it. It's about you flying a goddamn computer console when you want to be out there hopping galaxies. Spare me your notions of poetry, please. We all have our assigned duties. Paul, you're hiding. Hiding behind rules and regulations. Who am I hiding from? From yourself, Admiral. So we have Chekhov on a monitor talking to, for the first time we meet, Dr. Yeah. Carol Marcus yep. and her son David. And there are scientists that are working in this place. And Chekhov is saying, we're going to come take the Genesis device from you. And they freak out. They're, All they're the pissed. scientists are upset because the military has always uh, mm-hmm. taken advantage of science. And they're going to do it again. They're yeah. going to weaponize this thing. We don't know what it is at this point. Right. And who gave this order? Chekhov with this strange pause. Strange pause. Haunting. Haunting pause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, Admiral Kirk. Yeah, James T. Kirk. Yeah. I knew, yeah. It. I knew it. Science is always pause in the military. Right. This is completely improper, Commander Chekhov. I ha- cannot and will not subscribe to your interpretation of these events. Uh, and what we discover, of course, is that there's Khan standing beside Chekhov feeding him. Yeah. The right words. there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you go to, when you stop looking from Carol's point of view and you're on the uh, Reliant yeah. and Khan is standing right above him. And he's got the eel in his head, and he's doing exactly what Khan wants. And this leads us into Carol Marcus trying to make essentially a phone call with very bad cell reception yeah. to Kirk on the Enterprise. Why are you taking Genesis away? And again, Shatner's performance in yeah. what? Who's taking it? Yeah, who, yeah. Who's, who's taking Genesis? Is really good, yeah. and she doesn't hear him. It's extremely frustrating. It's just the way that can you hear me? Hello, hello yeah. on your cell yeah. phone. Yeah, yeah, basically, it's really yeah. frustrating now. And suddenly we have a real crisis. We're out on this training mission. But now Kirk's got a real crisis to face. Yeah. They're the only ship in the quadrant. They're the ones who can get to rel- uh, regular one the fastest. Right. But uh, it's a boatload of children, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spock, these 
cadets of yours, how good are they? How will they respond under real pressure? As with all living things, each according to his gifts. Of course, the ship is yours. No, that won't be necessary. Just get me to regular one. He has this moment where he thinks he has to do the right thing, and he tells Spock in his quarters, like, uh, you can still take out the kick command of the ship. And, and Spock has to tell him. Spock yeah. has to tell him, yeah. like, you, you assume something that you, is not you true. You for a false assumption, Captain. Yeah, I have also, no ego to I bruise. I have no ego to bruise. Yeah, it's a, that, is a, that is another great moment. That uh, moment makes me cry every time. You proceed from a false assumption. I'm a Vulcan. I have no ego to bruise. You're about to remind me that logic alone dictates your actions? I would not remind you of that which you know so well. If I may be so bold, it was a mistake for you to accept promotion. Commanding a starship is your first best destiny. Anything else is a waste of material. I would not presume to debate you. That is wise. He's saying to him, "This is what. This is where you, you should have never taken the admiral position. Right? You never right? should have taken the job. Yeah. Your place is on. Your place has always been on the bridge well, of the, the star. And in a way, and my place is at your side. Yeah. Right. You know, it's a beautiful Be- scene. Right. Because Spock is saying to him, "I love you," without saying to him, "I love you." Yeah. I you're my understand. first officer. You're, you're or you're my, yeah. you're my superior officer. You're my superior, you're my superior you're officer. You are also my friend. I have been, and always shall be yours. Such a great oh, scene. such a great moment. There's not a wasted word in the scene. Nope. And, and particularly because that's also the scene where we hear for the first time that the needs of the many outweigh the yeah. needs of the few. Yeah. Or the one. Or the one. Then, right after that, you're on the bridge, and Kirk walks through, and he's he's Captain Kirk. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, bridge to all decks, uh, emergency situation has arisen. Yeah. As of now, I'm assuming command of this vessel. Like, <laughs> you know, everyone in the audience is like, yeah, he's back! <laughs> <laughs> in a completely so different way than he did in the motion picture. That's the thing. There's right? this very similar yeah. plot going on. Yeah. And yet, story-wise, it's entirely different. Just one little thing that I just thought was just a nice little touch. You know, so Kirk's being he's very, being very captainly now. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, he's standing right at the helm. And Kirk looks at Sulu and he goes, Warp 5, Mr. Sulu. Yeah. <laughs> yep. he smiles. He goes, so much for the little training cruise. (laughs) (laughs) Whoosh! It's so great. So so we go in, and because Kirk now has to explain to Spock and McCoy what Genesis is. And we get this beautiful computer graphic from this little tiny company that's a subdivision of Lucasfilm known as Pixar. Wow. It's the very first Pixar ever on a movie screen, as far as I know. Very first CGI ever on a movie screen is the demonstration of the Genesis device. I didn't device. know that. Yeah. That's First awesome. First time ever. I think it was uh, Mike okay. Miner uh, uh, did some of the special effects on that. That's uh, great. But that scene, okay, and, and it's not just that this is a demonstration of the Genesis device. Right. It is the uh, demonstration by Kirk's old flame, Carol Marcus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like Spock, oh, Carol Marcus, and Kirk just goes... Yes. Like, he still loves her. Right. But the demonstration of that, the way Carol Marcus, B.B. Besh, the late, great B.B. Besh, yes. is... Um, she's great. Talking yeah. the, the voiceover, and you see the, demonstra- the demonstration, you see the Genesis device in effect while she's talking over it, and then she stops talking, and then you see 
the planet transform from a dead moon into a, a living, breathing planet that mm-hmm. we can that can support any life we see fit to deposit on it. And by the way, great foreshadowing. What does Genesis mean? Life from death. Right. This we sure. see this coming mm-hmm. two and three. We see three Star Trek three coming in this moment. Life from death. Right. Well, and, and just getting back really quickly to Kirk's old flame yeah. is that you know. Kirk's a love it and leave them kind of guy. Sure. He has a lot of women in a lot of episodes, and there are a couple of those women who touch it, touch him in a different way. Yeah. And you see just in the moment of Shatner watching her on screen in this video that this is one of them. Right. She breaks some. This is someone special. The way he responds to her, absolutely. It's the way a couple, an old couple would respond to each other or people who had known each other intimately. Who, what, who's trying to... What? I, who's trying to take Janet? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. There's that you, kind of shorthand between them because of the th- This is important. Yeah. And then we get, which we kind of touched on before, the argument between Spock and McCoy. Yeah. And this is, this is that you know, ethos, logos, pathos thing. <laughs> this, is, this is central core to Star Trek. Dear Lord, do you think we're intelligent enough to suppose? What if this thing we use where life already exists? It would destroy such life. In favor of its new matrix. Its new matrix? Do you have any idea what you're saying? I was not attempting to evaluate its moral implications, Doctor. As a matter of cosmic history, it has always been easier to destroy than to create. Not anymore. Now we can do both at the same time. According to myth, the Earth was created in six days. Now watch out. Here comes Genesis. We'll do it for you in six minutes. Really, Dr. McCoy? You must learn to govern your passions. They will be your undoing. Logic suggests... Logic? My God, the man's talking about logic. We're talking about universal Armageddon. You green-blooded inhuman. And and by the way, as Spock and McCoy are going back and forth arguing, that look on Kirk's face where he just like shakes his head, closes his eyes. (laughs) I mean, you know, like like, there's so many many times on the Bridge of the Enterprise in the original series where Spock and McCoy are going at it. Kirk goes, okay, gentlemen, that's enough. I mean, that that makes me go, ah, now we're talking. Now Mm -hmm. this is Star Trek. And it's so important to Star Trek because Star Trek is an exploration of ideas. And the thing about McCoy and Spock in this argument nobody's wrong here right you know in, in the middle of the argument federation starship approaching oh what, what do you make of her it's one of ours it's it's reliant it's reliant mm. what's reliant, reliant. and then the score kicks in yeah. that military score try the emergency channels and the the next scene is shot and edited and directed brilliantly the back and forth between the bridge of the enterprise to the bridge of the reliant and kirk sits and they're like oh what's this is damn peculiar peculiar. yellow alert is it possible that comm systems fail it would explain a great many things they're requesting communication sir let them meet static they're still running with shields down of course, we are one big happy fleet. Ah, Kirk, my old friend. Do you know the Klingon proverb that tells us revenge is a dish that is best served cold? It is very cold in space. They 
they still haven't raised their shields. Mm-hmm. Khan goes, raise, raise ours. They still haven't raised their shields. Raise ours. Their shields are going up. Lock faces on target. Locking phases on target. They're locking phases. Raise shields. Fire! When you see the phaser blast hit the side of the oh, yeah. Enterprise, yeah. like that is still a shocking, like, oh my God. Because we've never seen anything like this right. before. Never seen right. anything like that ever happen to the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and let's go back one second that's really important, which is that Kirk really screws up. Yes. Because Savik does tell him, hey, we don't have communications. You're supposed to wear shields. Right. And he doesn't. And really... All of this movie would be solved if he had only <laughs> listened to Savick, because then he would have his shields up, and there's no way a Reliant can take out the Enterprise if right. it has his shields up. The other thing, when that, when those, we don't pay a lot of attention to what happens below the decks in most of Star Trek. Good point. And this movie really does. Other than Scotty, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and this movie really does, and you see, because we hear, yeah. oh, twelve people were killed on you know deck twenty three. Yeah. yeah, we don't see them. Right. In this movie, you really do. When that phaser hits the side of the Enterprise, you have bodies flying mm-hmm. and smoke falling. And when, and when we see engineering and they have their masks on and there's panic and yeah. there's smoke panic. everywhere. That's crucial. That's yeah. crucial, Steve. It's because scary. There's panic because of all They're the kids. rookies on yeah. the Enterprise. Yes. And you hear the people in the back, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Yeah. I need air. I need air. I mean, you've never seen that in a star. Anything yeah. Yeah. like before, I have to say, or since. You have not seen that kind of fear mm-hmm. and panic no. on on any starship, yep. let alone the Enterprise. And even Scotty is at his wits' end in that almost barely, uh, almost barely keeping from passing out. Yeah. When he says, "How much time? I, mean, I, I could have it online in two. We don't have a couple of minutes." Yeah, yes. <laughs> his, aye, aye, Captain Auxiliary power. Poor right? Scotty. That good? Yeah. <laughs> he has to do a lot of stuff. He really does. <laughs> you know, and at Spock's point, they they knew where to hit us, yes. who would hit us, and why. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and now then we're, we're in this great mystery. Yes. Who is this? Who's the who's the enemy here? Who is the enemy here? And then, but once again, uh, it's go big or go home. This idea of seeing the death of these engineering people in that moment with yeah. the shots go big or go home yeah but and then and then Carabon, the the commander of the reliant is signaling they wish to discuss terms of our surrender such a great moment it's such a great moment and then something they'd never conceived of uh, on screen april and kirk gets up right <laughs> he he gets up into the frame yep. the frame doesn't follow him nope. he gets up into the frame and goes god the pause is what does it. The yeah. pause, which is once again Shatner's performance here. The pause is what sells it. The shock of the pause. Yeah. God. It's would it be so great, crazy. by the way, if he didn't recognize him? Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He goes, <laughs> <"Turn shit." laughs> the movie would have been completely I'm, different. Could you remind me? Could you, but just... the confidence. Yeah. Of the confidence and the control yeah. of Khan, you still remember. I can't yeah. help yeah. but be touched. I, of course, remember, remember, remember you. you. <laughs> I, of course, remember you. What is the meaning of this attack? Where is the crew of the Reliant? Surely I have made my meaning plain. I mean to avenge myself upon you, Admiral. I've deprived your ship of power, and when I swing around, I mean to deprive you of your life. But I wanted you to know first who it was who had beaten you. 
like the delivery, the glee, yeah. the glee. I need to avenge myself yeah. upon yeah. you, well, Admiral. This is the thing. Khan is, you know, smarter. He's stronger. Mm-hmm. He's got all these advantages, and his arrogance and his theatricality. Those are his weaknesses. But I always believe it's because he secretly thinks Shatner or Kirk is his equal. He secretly hates that Kirk well, is his equal. Well, that's what he hates about him. Well, that's what yeah, I always I, I, think. Because I agree. Kirk, yeah. even in that moment when he realizes Khan, Kirk immediately engages him in a conversation. Why? Because Kirk needs time to process what he's going yeah. to do. He knows that if he plays to Khan's ego, he will buy himself the time he needs to figure, to, to figure out. It out what to do next. You well, know, I got to yeah. tell you something. In the... What is it now? 34 years or 35 years this year, 2017, since that movie came out. I've never thought about it like that. Oh, Oh, yeah. Because in the original series, there's that line where Khan says to Kerr, Captain, uh, uh, you're uh, quite obviously inferior. Like he clearly (laughs) looks down on him. But it never dawned on me that after all of that, after Kirk had sort of the, uh, the, the clarity and and the uh, the boldness to not just follow orders and and regulations and put him on a penal colony right. to to set him free in a sense mm-hmm. that maybe he did think you know what this guy is my equal yeah and that scares the hell out of me absolutely Who, how many people in his entire life ever got the better of Khan no Kirk and that's what he and that's in that, in that crap, moment dude my mind is fucking blown well, right you, now well, am I about to drop the f bomb occasionally yeah of course fuck yes all right yes. Good. <laughs> And that's why I'm going to beat you on Movie Fight Bands. I always got to fight. All right, gentlemen, gentlemen, the truce. Remember the truce. The truce. That's right, the truce. Remember the truce. I'm always one step ahead of you. Oh, my God. How could you do this to me? Oh, my God. I got to practice. So, and now we get, so we just had Kirk make a screw-up of epic proportions, and now in our next moment, Kirk's back. Because this is classic Kirk. Yes. Is that this is the trickster Kirk. This is Corbin Might Maneuver. This is poker. This is yeah. this is yeah. him not playing by the rules. Right. He's going to cheat. He's going to get the whatever prefix code the or whatever code. the hell we call Death it. That has little meaning to us. Yeah. If it has none to you, attack us now. We grow ignored at your Classic. Classic, classic. classic Corbin Knight. Yeah. You're right. He is he's back. He's back on the very first episode that was ever produced for the original series. Uh, you know, keep nodding as though I'm still giving yes, orders. So uh, right. pull, pull up the prefix code and and, and Spock goes, Reliance, come what it in. And, and Spock goes, the prefix code? It's all we've got. <laughs> and there's even, even within that, though, we have these little touches of then he has to put on the glasses. Right. And Damn. that's so... <laughs> Great. Little bits of character. And then yes. we take over the control, lower the shield, and, <laughs> and yes. here it comes. And Khan's reaction to those shields oh. going down. Raise them! Kirk got, I can't! Kirk got the better of him again. again. Yeah. Kirk got the better of him again. It is a true battle of wits. Yeah. Because as Spock later said, he's intelligent, but inexperienced. But inexperienced. Pattern indicates... Two-dimensional, two-dimensional thinking. thinking, which is to me an allusion to the chess game that they play in the pilot. That has oh, always the 3D been chess? the three D chess. Huh. To me, that was always a reference to the original pilot. Never thought where of that. Spock does the three D chess. Yeah, listen, I'm a genius. Goddamn, that's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> I need to have a job on one of these networks. So I'm just to me, this is what that moment is. It's and Spock has to say it because Spock is the one that's playing that 3D chess in the pilot. And to me, that's a reference right. to go back to old now school. I'm just think about that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the the other because we got to move fast. We're, yeah, yeah. we're going to spend seven hours trying to get through this <laughs> this two hour movie. You've got to edit it. Sorry, but yeah. <laughs> the Enterprise attack on the Reliant 
just about as brutal as what happened yes. to the Enterprise. Yeah. And the two ships get away just barely. Reliant is tra- is can't move right now. Mm-hmm. Enterprise crawls away, and now we got to beam down to regular one and find out what the hell's going on. Yeah. But before that, Ugh. but before that, okay, you know, you think, okay, the Enterprise, you know, we, we fought back, we're, we're okay, and then the, the, the doors yeah. to the bridge open, and Scotty yes. is uh, standing in the door with him. You're right. We Preston, have to deal with and this. like you said, mm-hmm. we are see- really seeing the damage, not just to the Enterprise itself, but to the crew of the yeah, Enterprise. Absolutely. And, and that, that scene, honestly, before, before they get to regular one, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, and, and Sky's like, you know, he, you know, he stayed at his post while the other yeah. trainees ran away. And uh, Kirk says to Uhura on the intercom, best speed to regular one. And McCoy goes, you know, I'm sorry, Scotty. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yep. You know, because Jimmy Doohan in that in yeah. that movie was He's also great. fantastic. And, and, the, and in the extended edition, you see more of his connection with right that it's his, oh, nephew. Right. It's his, nephew, his nephew and all this. Yeah. And, and it's a Disney actor who plays oh. who had been who had done previous movies as a younger kid in Disney films. And so to see him in that uh, sequence lent that little bit of of gravitas and, to and it. And just there's never been blood in Star Trek, right? The blood on the shirt at the mm-hmm. full with the cool fold down uniform yeah. thing. Oh that yeah, where you really see blood stain. Yeah, I mean that, you saw you saw blood a little in the original series, like in the mock time when the yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They, that, that's a great shot. Yeah, you know the, the shirt is cut. And yeah, it's, like lucky to be alive. Um, but when the when the Enterprise approaches regular, the the special effects shot yeah. of of you know the the uh, regulars in the foreground. The Enterprise is approaching, and you see the Nebula in the background. Yeah, it's actually a gorgeous shot, and Beautiful. and as the Enterprise is approaching, you hear Uhura say it over and over again. Right. Enterprise, this is regular. You know, uh, yeah. this Which is again, Enterprise. Please come in. We've and, never been on that side of it. We've no. always been on the other side. Right. And and you know, you see Uhura on the monitors yeah. all over regular, which is deserted. Yeah. And then it's an interesting little thing. Is like. <clears throat> As the Enterprise comes across the uh, the, the the foreground and the rely the uh, regular is right behind it, you you hear the Enterprise like sort of like power down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it, the detail of this it's, movie is really mm-hmm. staggering. So we beam down to regular one, and we have Savick, Kirk, and McCoy, and this sequence is scary. Yeah, it is. It is it's like really a horror movie. Creepy. We just did. I know. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. you say. It. No, we just did an episode of Alien. And I don't know where in the chronological order that we're, this will come out in our show, but it's very reminiscent to where they're trying to find the alien after, or the face Yeah, hunter. with the chains hanging yeah, down. Yeah, with the chains hanging the, down. Yeah. All that stuff is very reminiscent. Oh, that's a good point. And it's yeah, yeah. bloody. It's it a, and it's a bloody. great scene. It's well stated. I don't know where the hell that rack came from. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe it was just on the cargo when they beamed it to There's always rats. The There's always rats. There's rats in this house right now. <laughs> <laughs> and McCoy's backing up into that yeah. body hanging that's there. That's scary. Scared the His, crap out of me. You know, all those bodies yes. hanging there. I mean, his ex Star Trek movie. Yeah. You know that kind of thing that he yeah. does. And he's like Jim. Yeah. Like he can't even like scream because right. he's scared. To and death. in addition to finding this is the this is the scientist from Regular One, right? Not including uh, uh, Carol or David. Yeah. Uh, in addition to finding them, who've all been horribly tortured to death. Yes. We open up a box and we find Chekhov, Chekhov and, and Terrell. Terrell. And Terrell. And Terrell's and, the one that tells him he tortured those people he went went wild wild slit their throats throats. (laughs) but while kirk and savick and mccoy are trying to talk to chekhov and terrell they are staring almost into the camera yeah yeah like they're clearly not right no no. but 
McCoy and Savick and Kirk don't know that yeah. yet. Well, they don't know the level of the not rightness. They know <laughs> yeah. they've been yeah. through some shit, but they don't know yeah. what's about to happen. You don't which buy is, check off for a second, though. Go ahead. I'm sorry, yeah, Steve. Of course. Yes. Which is, and we see that the transporter coordinates, the last time they yeah. used the transporter was to beam down to the middle mm-hmm. of the planet. We decide we're going to go follow them. And McCoy's great. Go where? Wherever they went. <laughs> And Suppose they went nowhere. Yeah. Then well, this will be a big chance to get, get away, away from, from it all. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That Classic Star Trek. Of intensity. Yep. Humor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, which is the best parts of Star Trek. Yeah. With absolutely. the humor, with the intensity. Absolutely. Yeah. Being down, and yeah. then we're right into a fight. Yes. And this one is really prof- profound to me. Mm-hmm. David attacks Kirk, and you can see Kirk is, David is no match for him. Right. Kirk is more shocked by looking at this person and going like, oh, I had to fight this guy than he is in the fight scene. Right. Disarms him. And then we hear, David, stop. Right. And Shatner's reaction to the name David is... Because he's holding his, he's holding yeah. his fist. He goes, where's Dr. Marcus? Yeah. I'm Dr. Marcus. Jim. And he goes, he goes to Carol. Yeah. You know, he, he takes a beat. He says, in shock, like, is that David? Like, yeah. again... The so genius mm-hmm. of William Shatner. Yeah. Well, and, and this is, is like, you know, classic screenwriting rule is show, don't tell. Is right. that, yeah, we could tell you that Kirk has a son and his son's name is David and he's Carol's son and they, we could tell you all this. So much better for Kirk to go, is that David? And see his face. And, and we know he had this relationship with Carol. Yeah. And we know it's an old... As a doctor, you should know that, about uh, not putting salt on old wounds. reopening old wounds. Yeah. Yes. Such a great line. <laughs> is that, is that, and suddenly we start to connect. Oh, shit. Yeah. Is David Kirk's son? Does Kirk have a son? Right. Is that what I'm seeing here? And you start to suspect it somewhere in this timeline, in this moment. It's hard. Because, because Dr. Marcus says to David... Of course not, David. You're only making this harder. It's and hard. that right. is the clue, the cue to lead, her, to lead him into saying well, what uh, Terrell says. Because that is our first real illusion that there's a family here, a broken family yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And then, right as we're dealing with that bit of emotion, we have to hear, I'm sorry, it's worse than that, Admiral. Right. And oh, there we harder have... Harder than you think. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and for, for you know, Terrell to... Shoot himself, yeah. Instead it's of powerful acting, powerful acting, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, Chekhov doesn't get a chance to do anything before mm-hmm. the paint finally gets to him. And the way <laughs> the way they shot that the the ear and yeah. the steady eel coming out of the ear, yeah. and and then there's the whole you know, God, you bloodsucker! <laughs> you have to do the you're dirty right now. You got to come down here. Do you hear me? Do you? And then that. That's the full Shatner, by the way. Right. That, now we're into the full Shatner. That must have been, wait, Steve, that was take one. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that was Probably. Take one. Scott, con you bloodsucker. Yeah. Still, oh, friend. Okay, yeah. that's, that's like um, season three. Yeah. Yeah, right. But once again, Gon's reaction is great. Khan is shocked. He's got the best of him again. But he has control, he has Genesis. He knows he's going to do that. So he, just in that temporary moment, he reclaims the higher ground. Con bloodsucker. You're gonna have to do your own dirty work now. Do you hear me? Do you? Kirk. Kirk, you're still alive, my old friend. Still, old friend. You've managed to kill just about everyone else, but like a poor marksman, you keep missing the target. Perhaps. No longer need to try, Admiral. 
going can't take it. Khan, you've got Genesis. But you don't have me. You are going to kill me, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. You're going to have to come down here. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I've hurt you. Yes. And I wish to go on hurting you. Hurting you. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, most usually in these podcasts, I continually am cutting to the actual dialogue of the film. <laughs> but you guys are doing such a good job performing the dialogue. Yeah, well, so by the way, we could do a separate podcast where we just act the whole movie. The whole movie. Absolutely. And we'll do it. Don't dare us, mister. <laughs> we will do it. Because not we today. Can. Yes. Not today. I've got my Vulcan ears to put on. Yeah. And, and we, we, we're going to give just a moment to respect the cause. Yes. I shall leave you as you left me. As you left her. My room for I mean, that scene, when you watch that in later years, like when it's re-released in theaters and you go with the crowd, yeah. people cheer. Yes. They cheer. I love Khan. it. Like, yeah, yeah. Khan. Like the echo. It's all about the echo. And then the look on Khan's face where it's like, you know, he looks like he just took like a, a massive dude. Right. <laughs> well, I, and I love, too, right before it is the buried alive. Buried alive. Buried alive. Um, and I love that they pan out and it echoes through the stars. Yeah. That's how ancient this anger is. It's so powerful. There's no big, sound in space, stuff. but for Khan, we'll make an exception. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> so uh, uh, most of our cast goes off over to see the Genesis Cave, and we have this really lovely, yeah. gentle moment oh, between man. Kirk and Carol, where first he's talking about this guy who's trying to kill me who he hasn't seen in 15 years. Yeah. You show me and, a son who wants to help. Yeah. And just. My son. We don't. My son. My yeah. life, it could have been. But it wasn't. But it wasn't. You ask me what I'm feeling? Old, Old. Worn out. Kirk is saying those words. Yes. Yeah. Because he's exhaled. When he says, Khan, once again, this is, we've never seen Kirk do this in any of the films, he, or any of the TV series. He's never gone that far. Right. Where he, and we think, my God, is he really on his last leg? Is this it? But in the hold, he's got this other thing. He's, he's still, he's still, still Kirk. Kirk. He's right. still Kirk. He's but still he, Kirk. But then he has, but that tender moment. You're right, Steve. It's such a beautiful it's a scene. Between really them. gentle, right? Loving, yeah, sweet kind of moment. Mm-hmm. We move into the Genesis Cave, and finally, we're going to get the answer that we were waiting for. What did Kirk do at the Kobayashi Maru? Yeah, he cheated. He cheated. He cheated. He reprogrammed the simulation so it's possible to save the ship. By yeah. the way, I love that he's eating the apple. Yeah. And I love that when the, in the Genesis two, cave or in the Genesis cave, when the 2009 reboot of Star Trek comes out, when the Kobayashi Maru scene is happening, Chris Pine is eating an apple, which is an oh, illusion. Oh, that was great. Right. It's an illusion to Star I Trek too. thought about yeah, that. It's Good totally job. that illusion. I, I love it. You know, he's standing like, you know, Chris yeah. Pine goes, Bing, you know, <laughs> it's so but, great. but the, the great thing about yeah. that is like all this point, you know, when Kirk is in the, 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 uh, the, the manufactured portion of the cage talking to Carol Marcus, right. You know, you think they're defeated. They're going to be stranded. Where's the, where the hell is the Enterprise? Right. All this time, Kirk has been pulling the strings. Yep. Yep. Which goes back to Khan is that that yell to me is always like, is it completely sincere? Yeah. Because 
he needs he's continually trying to manipulate Khan. Right. You know, he needs Khan to believe that he's trapped in this cave. I think it's sincere because Khan keeps killing people. Khan sure. keeps at, at so I think the anger is Kirk's frustration at the situation that it has to keep continuing. That he because he does get the better of him, but he doesn't win yet. Right. right. So there's an anger and frustration in that, and then that leads into the to the because his defenses are all his guard is all down, which is why he can have that conversation with Carol. And when they're talking about talk the Kobayashi Maru yeah. and he's talking about how he cheated, changed the conditions yeah. of the test. I don't believe in a no-win situation. <laughs> Kirk the spot. It's two hours. Are you ready? Right on schedule, Admiral. And then the James Horner score kicks in. Yeah. It becomes like this rousing thing, and he gets up, takes a bite of the apple. I don't like to lose. <laughs> it's great. This the, is, it's so, it's so awesome. Great. And we get to hear this. Go ahead. The McCoy smile That's is what sells that thing. moment. It yeah. sells that moment. Yeah. He's just like, you old dog. You, son, yeah. you, you know, son of a bitch. Because he's been through so many things. Chris always gotten him out of it. Yeah. Yep. yep. He's like, even like, even after all these years, yeah. man, he's looking at him like, Man, that guy still got it. He still got it. And then we have get to have the great plant and payoff of it was planted that you keep spouting those regulations uh, to Savik, and now we find out that this was a coded message as per regulations. Hours Hours instead of days. days. Now we have minutes instead of hours. But when they beam up to the Enterprise and the score is going on, and there's it's like this rousing moment where they're they're in better control. They and they, you think they were yeah. up at this point, even though the trips are still down, the Enterprise is still a disabled starship, and the uh, Reliant can still outrun us and outgun us. That that they're they're running, they're they're, they're going up to the bridge, and then they they see the the the, the tactical yeah. of the Reliant is actually in much better shape than the Enterprise. Yeah. There is one chance the Mutara Nebula, uh, the uh, visual function and shields will be useless. And what does Spock say? Uh, goose. Sauce, sauce for the goose. Sauce for the goods, Mr. Savick. Yeah. Oh, the odds will be even. Will be even. So then the Enterprise, and I and I've talked about this earlier in the show, yeah. when the Enterprise is making its way toward regular, the nebula, battle stations, the ship is getting ready. And you see all the decks, the people running around, the running right. back and forth mm-hmm. throughout the corridors. They're yeah. in the torpedo room. They're in engineering. It's something we know why the Enterprise had to have a crew of 400 people. Because yeah. in the series... It was like twelve guys, you know. <laughs> but now we see, oh, you got to move stuff around. You got to do yeah. stuff to get a photon torpedo. But then, by the time, uh, you know, the the Reliant is catching up on them, and they fire and they miss, and you know they're backing off. It's important to point out, gentlemen, that at no point during the making of this movie were William Shatner and Ricardo Montalban in the same room, in the same room, yep. at the same place, at the same time. Yeah. The only time they saw each other was on a view screen, and then for the rest of the time, they just kind of hurt each other. Yep. And at this moment, at this moment in Wrath of Khan, when the Enterprise, when the Reliant is backing off, and Kirk is like, oh, really? Hey, Khan, we tried it once your way. You know, you I'm laughing for, at your superior yeah. intellect. Are you game for another? Yeah, yeah. Well, and game again, for a rematch. Because Kirk is a poker player. Right. Kirk is about playing the odds, but mostly he's about Not playing chess, the Spock. man. Poker yeah. is that you play the man, and he knows. Oh, you, I, Khan doesn't want to do this. I'm going to get him to do it yeah. by playing the man. He understands how to play Khan and he's does manipulating him. Mm-hmm. He's manipulating him, which frustrates Khan to no end. Yeah. But then, then okay, so then the the ride definitely speeds up, just in time for the Enterprise to enter the Mutara Nebula, and then for the Reliant to be close by, close behind it, 
And at this point on, the whole the the chase mm-hmm. through the Matar Nebula becomes run run silent, run deep in yeah, space. Absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. Submarine great warfare. Mm-hmm. They are on equal footing. Yes. And the 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 for again, eleven million dollar budgeted movie and seeing the Enterprise and the Reliance sort of like fly blind. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally they'll see a glimpse of the other ship on the view screen. And uh, you know, I love that shot where the Enterprise and the Reliant are flying towards each other, and you, you can't see anything. And there's right. a split second where you see the Reliant. Kirk goes, "Evasive starboard!" And the Reliant fires, and it hits the, the side of the torpedo yeah. uh, base of the Enterprise, and then the Enterprise fires. I mean, it's so great. <laughs> well, and in this sequence, by the way, the score is killing it. Yeah. The score, James Horner's score, is so good, and the 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 theme, the leitmotif he creates for the Reliant is so scary yeah. and powerful. <laughs> really telling the story and this is where it's funny so after into darkness came out we're not going to talk a lot about it because this is about Rathacon. <laughs> but i think that night i went home and watched wrath of Khan. yeah of course and the epiphany i had was that wrath of Khan is not an action film into darkness is an action film mm-hmm. there's very little action in wrath of Khan. you have um a couple of you know you have the battle sequence in the middle and then you have this battle sequence at the end and other than that Barely, nobody throws a punch. Mm-hmm. There's Good no point. action. And th- this yeah. sequence at the end is very slow yeah. because it's run silent, run deep. Is that? And, and the thing is, and this is you know something obvious that people don't tend to think about, is that a film is a zero-sum game in terms of time. Mm-hmm. You only have this much time. You have a two-hour movie. You have two hours to get your business done. If you have an hour and 20 minutes of action sequences, you only have 40 minutes to get all the character and story and other mm-hmm. stuff done. And so in a film like Into Darkness or most of the modern science fiction films, you have so much action that you cannot do the heavy lifting that we do in Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Yeah. It cannot happen. There is not enough time. This movie spends so much time developing characters and ideas and advancing stories. Mm-hmm. and that's why it's working it, and so when we come into this sequence at the end it is slow it mm-hmm. is very tense and it is and and you feel the emotional power of what you're heading towards and i would argue that the film hurdles its way to that moment it earns the pause one absolutely of, one of the things they tell you in theater is if you're going to pause on stage earn the pause and the way you earn the pause is by taking the audience on the journey to that moment and I think the, the film itself is constantly speeding to that moment which is why we're okay to take a break and have a slower than usual action scene that's still fraught with tension and fear and worry and, and the pause literally comes when the bridge of the Reliant is disabled yeah uh, most of the crew I think uh, everyone on the bridge of the Reliant is dead except for Khan yeah, yeah. and that's when Khan in a last Desperate attempt. No, Kirk. The game's not over. And he starts activating the Genesis device. There is no score. There is no score. All you hear are the sound effects of the Genesis device device, being activated. And uh, Khan is is quoting Ahab's last words. He's looking at the view screen and and taking up the entire screen is the whale, the Enterprise. And then on the Enterprise, score kicks in again. There's a something going on. It's the Genesis wave. They're on a build-up to detonation. How soon? The encoded four minutes. We'll beam aboard and stop it. You can't. 
Scotty. And it warps speed in three minutes, so we're all dead. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> you get a look from Spock. He turns his yes. head, and it is so sets it up so well. Mm-hmm. Just that look. Okay, and and that look. Okay, remember the beginning of the movie where you thought, "Hi, yeah, <laughs> you go." Oh, oh shit! shit. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> as go, soon as he looks down oh and he's pondering what to do next, you're like, "Oh, oh no. no! Oh no! No no oh, no! No no no! No no no! Don't do it! Don't do it!" And thing, yeah. the the the, the uh, Genesis device is going off, and yeah. you know the Enterprise is creeping slowly away from the Reliant. It's not going to make it. Right. And uh, another beautifully shot and edited scene is on the bridge of the Enterprise as they're trying to get away. Uh, you know, Kirk is in the captain's chair and he just... Arms the folded. Zooms yeah, in. Yeah. Arms folded. Yeah. And and he the camera zooms in very slowly on Kirk and he goes, time. 30 seconds. 30 or, seconds or whatever. Yeah. Then uh, back to Kirk, zooming in very slow. Yeah. Distance from Reliant, zooming in cl- slowly on Chekhov, 4,000 kilometers. Yeah. Zooming back in slowly on Sulu. We're not going to make it, That's are we? Line. That's the line, We're not man. Not going to make well, it. And it's yep. Kirk's. Then Kirk looks Such to David, and it, David and the, shakes his and head. David shakes his head. Yeah. Now this is this is territory we've been in a lot on on Star Trek. You know, we got ten seconds. Yeah. We're all going to die, yeah. and we you know we did it. We do it in the Corbinite maneuver. We've done it in yeah. a lot of episodes. This is the best one. Meanwhile, down in engineering. Yeah. Are you out of your Vulcan mind? No human can tolerate the radiation that's in there. As you are so fond of observing, Doctor, I am not human. You're not going in there. Perhaps you're right. What is Mr. Scott's condition? Well, I don't think that he... Oh! <laughs> Vulcan net pitch! <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have time to discuss this logically. Yeah. Remember. remember. That, that, that is so brilliant, the remember. remember. Because the remember, remember means what? if people come watch this movie, we'll be able to do a third one. Let's lay the groundwork it's for so the third smart. one. Let's do it's something a... that, that gives us a, a get-out-of-jail-free right. card. And how, how Star Trekian, and in, in this way, of the swerve, which is, who would he give the mind meld to? It's not Kirk, his buddy. It's McCoy. Well, that's because McCoy's there. Yeah, it's because, all about but, but, irony. But he's perfect. Yeah. Irony, right, exactly. Well, because, and, and this is, you know, obviously getting ahead of he ourselves. Could have given it to Scotty. The job of the filmmaker McCoy. is to create conflict. Yes, you know, where is the conflict? Yes. It's got to be with McCoy. Yeah. So Spock goes into this radiation chamber. Scotty, who's been out of it, leaps to his feet somehow. Get out of Get there. Get out of there. No. And, it is, and I remember <laughs> no. I, can, I can remember the feeling as a kid. Oh, yeah. Because the, the sense of doom when he yeah. goes in there and the way the light's shooting out of that. Yeah. All this stuff. In his like, face. Yeah. In his face. And I went, oh, shit. Oh, this really is gonna, happening. They're, they're really doing it. Do it. They're going to do it. Yeah. And but we, then, then that moment, sir, sir, the mains are back online. Bless you, Scotty. Go, Sulu. And another well shot, well edited scene. The Enterprise warps out of there. Right. The music just sort of like swells a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the Reliant blows up. Yeah. The shockwave of the Reliant Beautiful. blowing up while the Genesis device has been activated. Yeah. The shockwave goes further and further yep. out into space. Literally, the Enterprise is just one millisecond yeah. ahead yeah. of that shockwave as it speeds away. Scotty, go through! Shh! 
It's so it's beautifully great. done. Yeah. Beautifully done. Yeah. And then we're all happy because everything's going to be good. And Kirk calls down to uh, Scotty. Well and done. Engineer says, "Hey, well done, Scotty." And I love that it's Bones' voice. Yeah. Jim, you better get down here. Better hurry. Better hurry. Better hurry. And the, he looks at the chair. And he looks at the chair. The shock reaction. Yeah. Of realizing that it could be Spock, like. The jolt He's that it does pre- he, he knows. And he knows. He knows. Why? Because they are connected on a different level, which you are when you have an intimate connection with someone, male or female, irrelevant, when you sense it. And he senses it. In he that senses moment. it. When you have yeah. that connection that, yep. that you can only have with maybe very, very few people yep. in a lifetime. Yep. And the desperation when he gets down oh, and he sees Spock in the radiation chamber. I... No! You'll flood the whole compartment. You'll die. He's dead already. Originally, McCoy was going to say that line. And and uh, oh. Nick Meyer wanted him to say, he's dead, Jim. Right. But because, uh, DeForest Kelly said, I know why you want me to say that. But in this moment, yeah. I cannot say that. Yep. People yep, that's right. will laugh. Yeah. It is a trademark. It is a slogan. It's right. been imitated. Right. It Good has point. been spoofed. If you you will take people out of the film, if you have me say he's dead, Jim. That's so Scotty great. said he's, he's dead already. He's dead, it is so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, just thinking about the scene, I get teary eyed. Of course. And and I don't know what the best death scene in a movie is of all time, but for me, this is right up there. Uh, oh, yeah. I agree. Completely. This is so yeah. beautifully done. And Shatner's performance and Nimoy's performance, the talking through that wall, even the first he goes up and calls to him before and the the, the microphone's not on. So powerful. Yeah. And I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, you see him say Spock, you, you don't hear it. You yeah. don't hear it. Then he turns the thing. He goes, oh, I have to turn the thing on. Says Spock, watching Nimoy get to his feet. And in particular... Right. Straightening the shirt. Straightening the shirt. The shirt. Yep. That's Spock. That's very right? Spock. Yep. yep. Like even in that, he's still composed. Yes. Tries to be. He's a gentleman. And 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 the the call back to that scene in the quarters. Don't grieve, Admiral. It's logical. The needs of the many outweigh the means of the few. Or the one. I never took the Kobayashi Maru test. Until now. What do you think of my solution? Spock. I have been and always shall be your friend. Well, th- this is this is the thing: is b- good writing has resonances throughout. Mm-hmm. Like I said at the beginning, you don't just use those glasses for one thing; use them for many things. You don't just use the needs mm-hmm. of the many for one thing; you use it for yeah. many things. You use, you know, I have, I shall be, and I have, have been, and always, always shall, shall be. be your friend. Yeah. These are things that come back. The Kobayashi mm-hmm. Maru. All of the themes that we've constructed throughout right. this film are coming to this moment: cheating death. Right. You know, all of this is coming right here. It's so powerful. But once again, it is his intimate connection with Kirk. Even in that moment, he knows he has to take care of Kirk, which is why he tries 
to make it to make a, inject just this small amount of levity by saying, "I never took the Kobayashi Maru test." What do you think of my solution? It's like Spock. Come it, on. Yeah, it's right, right. And <laughs> yeah. then Kirk's like, no, why, why are you asking me this? But it's Spock's way of taking care of him because he knows he's going to be sad that he's going to die. And, and just that, that scene as it pulls away yeah. where oh. they're both leaning the against n- each other. Wait, wait, mirroring. Scott, Scott, wait. The no. The no is everything. Shatner's no yeah. when Spock dies to me, is the one that breaks me in half and makes me cry every time. Because it is, he has been saying, I don't believe in the no-win situation. I don't like to lose. And for the first time ever, he really, he lost. really loses. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and then, but you know, for me, it's the scene in the torpedo tube when he's giving his yes. eulogy. Right. And it says, and he you know, says, of all the souls I've encountered yeah. in my travels, his was the most. And then he's trying to hold back the tears and yeah. he just shumaned. Yeah. It's like, it reminded me of the scene at the edge of City on the Edge of Forever mm. when they're about to be back aboard the Enterprise and Kirk had to let Edith Keeler die. Yes. And and he can barely say, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, it's where Shatner's acting is really good. So uh, we have this funeral yeah. and then we have this scene where Kirk and David yeah. talk. It's a beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. Beautifully played. And you can see Again, the reluctance. And you're asking yourself, oh, does David know? Because originally, David didn't know right. that this is his dad. And he, and he's the one who gives Kirk the strength to go forward. Yeah. Well, that, I love that scene, too. Like, you know, Kirk, he's, you know, he's trying to read the book. The glasses are broken. Another yeah. allegory and metaphor. And then Kirk, you know, David comes in. And, he, and, and, you know, Kirk is trying to be composed. He's a mess. And the, the, the way his voice shakes, the way he goes, I, I poured myself a drink. Would you like it? He's trying not to connect. I poured myself a drink. Would you like it? Lieutenant Savick was right. You never have faced death. No, not like this. I haven't faced death. I've cheated death. And patted myself on the back for my ingenuity. But just, you know, going from back to back from the Spock death to the eulogy to I'm proud. Yeah. Very proud to be your son and that that hug like kirk hugs david like he he's never really hugged someone no, like I, that before right like yeah. he's he's and you get to the you know, you know you're back on the bridge of the enterprise they're going away from from regular from the, yeah, from the and uh, for the genesis planet and they're all rejuvenated and uh kirk goes if genesis is indeed life from death i must return to this place hmm. and that great you know interesting uh, you know, very interesting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jim, how do you feel? Yes. Young. Young. I feel young. As when the world was new. <sighs> and it's such a powerful moment because it is the completion of the circle that we started with, which is Kirk's midlife crisis. It has been solved by the time the end of the film. He has embraced what he is supposed to do with his life. He has lost a friend in the process, but his friend's loss has taught him something about his life. And, and even, even with the, the death of a, an iconic character yeah. like Spock, that moment on the bridge, followed by the, the, the birth of this new planet, yeah. seeing all the life you know, and seeing the torpedo tube that it that yes. made it intact, uh, leaving hope for Star Trek Three, <laughs> um, and then hearing, like above a whisper, space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission to explore 
strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. And it's Nimoy, not Shatner, right. who says it. And then the, the score at the end. Now, now, uh, uh, it took many years for me to break down Star Trek's two and three in this simple manner. In Star Trek two, Spock died saving the Enterprise. In Star Trek three, yep. the Enterprise returned the favor. Yes, that's a great point. That's that is absolutely just in the simplest terms. Yeah. Now, I, I, I never really dug that in the beginning of Star Trek Three, which is supposed to pick up right up where, where Star Trek Two left off. Yeah. You know, everybody's kind of depressed, but Kirk is depressed. I mean, what yeah. happened to the rejuvenation that he right. had at the end of Wrath of Khan? But that's that's for another cinephile. Sure, <laughs> maybe <laughs> that's for get, another cinephile. Three. Another three hour long cinephile. <laughs> so, so that well, that just we we've made it to the end of an epic, uh, but I think epic. deserved. Epic cinephiles. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to ask, so uh, Scott, what are your final thoughts on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan? Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, it is a movie I've seen more than 100 times. I could watch it number 101 right now. I could act it out with you right now. Absolutely. And I would still get just as much joy and pleasure out of seeing it for the first time, the 50th, the 75th. It, it holds up everything about it. The themes are classic. The characters are fully realized. The dialogue, the direction, the editing, the score, the cinematography, all of it, everyone, everyone in this film is at the top of their game. And budget aside, yeah, so it was the lowest, uh, the least expensive Star Trek movie of them all, but it is still the best out of 13 films. Agreed. How about you? For me, I have to say, uh, I echo everything Scott says. Uh, It is one of my favorite films, uh, aside from quality or whatever, top five favorite films for me to eminently rewatch over and over and over again. I will flip channels, and if I catch it, I'm done for an hour and a half I'm or an hour. It's, it's just, it's impossible. It is cracked to me because of the fact that this film, you can watch it at any age of your life, and there is something that resonates for you. When I was a kid, I watched it because it reminded me of my father. As I got in my 20s, it reminded me that this old age is coming. Now that I'm in my 40s, I feel a resonance with Kirk that I never felt before, which is why the film uh, breaks me down and makes me emotional in ways that it never did before, because I understand this struggle, this pain, this idea of like, where am I now? What do I do next now? Kirk, because what I'd relied on. Kirk is so in his long. early 50s yeah. in, in Wrath of Khan. Yeah. I'm 48. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And so there's a connecting thing to it. But the what Scott says is great. Everyone is fantastic as an act. The writing, the story, the pacing. But there's a love for the franchise yep. that comes through in this film that connects with every Star Trek lover that they did it right and they did it with love and reverence, and they pushed the boundaries, and they fully realized this Gene Roddenberry concept of what Star Trek could be. And I think this film really captures that. No question about it. Now for, for me, I think about that little kid that I was that loved Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And what's so great about Ratha Khan is that... Not every Star Trek episode is great. Some of them are kind of bad. Yeah, but, I agree. <laughs> but 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 what? But Wrath of Khan captures that essence that I loved as a kid and elevates it into something that I can love as an adult. Yeah. it elevates it. The themes in it deepen. The characters deepen. The ideas deepen. Yeah. Like all of the 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 power of what I love about Star Trek is right there. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. 
I don't know exactly the process of how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to introduce my kid eventually to Wrath of Khan. Absolutely. I don't know quite what I'm going to show him first. And, and I hope that he can see in it what I see, mm-hmm. see in it, uh, which is a story about family and ideals and struggles and growing old and relationships and sacrifice yeah. and doing the right thing. Yeah. yeah. And the true beauty of the film is that you don't even have to have seen the original Space Seed episode to no. enjoy the no, film. No, you really don't. You don't. And you know, Marla McIvers, her name is never mentioned. Yes. No. Very no. interesting. Just, no. She's alluded to, but never mentioned. Right. Yeah. All right, so that's what we think of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. We would love to hear what you think. You can always visit us on Facebook at The Cinephiles. That's C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. If you want to subscribe to us on Stitcher, put in Cinephiles, but no dash. Cine files two words they don't like dashes if you want to subscribe to us on itunes you absolutely should and while you're on itunes you should review us because we really need those reviews yep. and we always want to hear from you if you want to reach me you can reach me at sr morris john where can you reach you you guys can always reach me at the roca says r-o-c-h-a on twitter and instagram and follow me i love interacting with you guys and especially if you love wrath as much as the three of us do let's have a conversation on any social media and scott can they reach you anywhere yes absolutely you can follow me on twitter at movie Mance. Now it's M A N T Z. So on Twitter and on Instagram at Movie Mance. Like you, John, I love interacting with people, especially about movies and especially about Star Trek. So bring it on. And do you have anything well, to plug? Do you have anything to plug coming oh, up? Oh, and, and you can uh, catch my reviews on Access Hollywood and AccessHollywood.com. At your local gas station. Well, we certainly love interacting with you uh, about Star Trek on the Cinephiles. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you on so much, guys. This was the best. The truce was worth it. The truce was worth it. But, <laughs> but you know what? Down. You are going, going down. down. Gentlemen. Are going gentlemen. Down. Gentlemen. Forget it. Just, I don't just care where it is. It. All right, all right. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on the Cinephiles.